that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like but, so that's that's but that's the process. Some places are going to get drier. Some places are going to、mm-hmm. get wetter.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. UAE is more like a desert, right? So they need that technology, right? Like Indonesia, they also use it to t-、uh, put up the、uh, forest fire. By the way, Tyler, we are on the top of the hour. Yeah, it's we're we're good. But also, Dubai would be on fire if it wasn't all sand. Yeah, I mean it's it's、right. the hottest place in the world. It's like you know forty five degrees C. <laughs> if there was anything that could burn there, it would burn. How how do people how do people survive the good, there? They they are all in their car and indoors. They don't go out. All air conditioning. All air. Conditioning. Yeah, all, that means always indoor. You, you go out at night too. So. Ah okay. But it's similar to like in the Nordics, where you just have to be strategic about movement from one place to another. But you you can withstand pretty high and low temperatures for you know less than three minutes, you know. Well, and then I、Unless、think your body like- adjusts too. I mean, my brothers live in Arizona, and、um, yeah, they'll say like, "Oh, it wasn't too hot. It was like a hundred and two." It's like okay, but I think I probably do the same thing here. I think our bodies, our blood, you know, it eventually adjusts to the climate around us more or less. You know, Sometimes it's not too humid. Like living in Stockholm in the winter, Stockholm doesn't get that cold. Believe it or not, it's often sometimes some years it doesn't snow, and it's、um, but it does get cold sometimes. You, once in a while, you get you know negative degrees, and On the colder days, you learn how to be able to walk through the whole city, going through shopping malls into this other parking garage, up through this supermarket, like without having to without having to go outside. You can get all across anywhere without actually、mm-hmm. exposing yourself to the elements.、Mm-hmm. I think to have a shelter or shade is important. If you're under the shade, I think you don't you really feel that hot. So having lots of trees are good. Yeah, there's unfortunately there isn't that many trees there. I, I guess they they would take too much water. You have to get special type of palm trees that don't get much water. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. If you guys have been to Singapore, you realize that there are many many trees there. So although it's near the equator, but you don't really feel that hot if you're under、It's、the humid.、Tree. Oh my god, the humidity. Yeah, the humidity. <laughs> By、oh、the、god. way, before we get into the big headlines, speaking of Sweden, Evan just found an article. IKEA creates.、Mm-hmm. Meatball scented candle, so you can smell like it's.、Uh, <laughs> you, you can、Yum. make your home smell like an IKEA food court. Oh God! I want the subway version. <laughs> the tuna oh, candle. What <laughs> <laughs>、oh, did I just walk into? Or that warm baked bread that they're so famous for. Chris, come to Tsukiji or Toyosu Market to smell the real tuna. The real tuna, not the bonito. Oh, you can smell bonito too if you want. But re- really, 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 super, super fresh tuna really barely has any smell at all. Yeah, right. So, <sighs> the biggest headline at this very moment. Well, first of all, happy Thursday to everybody wherever you happen to be, and good morning, America. You're you're just six to twelve hours behind as usual, and we met earlier <laughs> today and had a lovely four hour session and got into all kinds of interesting topics. And we even had a few really new, interesting ideas, such as Dicky Leaks. And what is Dicky Leaks? Well, if if you were with us last time, you would have known we got into the whole topic about、um, a WikiLeaks 
for dick pics. And so people who receive these photos can then share them just like um, people were sending their, you know, secrets to Julian Assange on WikiLeaks. People could send their, the photos that they're subjected to, to WikiLeaks, where we as a platform could post them with the identities of the individuals. And, and then of course the business model is they would pay to have the photos removed, which we would then rev share with these, the, the victims. So it's, um, if you're interested in, in, collaborating uh you can dm me so the the first big story uh, at the moment is uh mozilla which is the maker of the firefox browser which it is you know mozilla is considered a real good guy in the tech space generally um and they've done a bit of analysis around facebook's um, cutting off of data to the NYU uh, Ad Observatory Project, which we talked about yesterday because New York University has this PhD candidate who's, you know, running this thing called the Ad Observatory Project, where she's trying to deconstruct exactly how Facebook's political ads system works because they're not being very transparent about it, or at least not to her liking. So she's doing this project, which involved making a browser extension for people who want to be part of this. They opt in, they add a browser extension, which they knowingly know that this browser extension is looking at everything they're doing on Facebook. And then, you know, um, they're making note of all of the users who have installed the browser extension and they're comparing what ads they're looking at. And the geography and their demographic and everything else. So um, the, the yesterday Facebook says that they've disabled the, all of the accounts and apps and pages and access to all of its APIs to disable this browser extension. So end of project. And let's hope the PhD candidate's able to get her PhD. But today there's a develop a new development which is Mozilla, the maker of Firefox, which kind of popularized the idea of browser extensions, knows a thing or two about browser extensions and data. And they did a look at this and they said that the company Facebook's concern, Facebook's concerns, um, well, Facebook's claiming that they were forced to block access to the academics. Um, but now this uh, uh, Mozilla is saying this is bullshit. You, you don't have to stop this. And it's not for the reason, not at all for the reasons that you claim that you have to. Facebook saying our hands are tied. So let me let me explain here. This is from Wired, and they're talking about what now uh, Mozilla has found out. So it says when Facebook said Tuesday, which was two days ago, that it was suspending the accounts of the team of NYU researchers, it made it seem like the company's hands were tied. The team had been crowdsourcing data on political ad targeting via a browser extension, something Facebook had repeatedly warned them was not allowed, which is bullshit. Of course, you're allowed to have a browser extension. And here's a quote. For months, we've attempted to work with NYU to provide three of their researchers the precise access they've asked for in a privacy-protected way, wrote Mike Clark, Facebook's product manager, director, in a blog post. We took these actions to stop unauthorized scraping and protect people's privacy in line with our privacy program under the FTC order. That's the Federal Trade Commission. Now, 
Clark was referring to the consent decree imposed by the Federal Trade Commission in 2019, along with a $5 billion fine for privacy violations that Facebook had committed. You can understand the company's predicament. If researchers want one thing, but the powerful federal regulator FTC requires something else, the regulator's going to win. Except Facebook wasn't in this predicament because the consent decree that Mike, men- Mike Clark mentions doesn't prohibit the researchers from what they've been doing. Perhaps the company acted not to stay in the government's good graces, but because, oh, the company was acting in a way that was not kosher, but because it doesn't want to want the public to learn one of its most closely guarded secrets, who gets shown which ads and why. The FTC's punishment grew out of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And in that case, nominally academic researchers got access to Facebook user data and data about their friends directly from Facebook. Directly from Facebook, the data infamously ended up in the hands of Cambridge Analytica, which used it to micro-target on behalf of Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. The NYU project, on the other hand, the Ad Observer, works very differently, entirely differently. Facebook doesn't give it access to data. Rather, it's a browser extension. When a user downloads the extension, they agree to send the ads they see, and including the information in the why am I seeing this ad widget, to the researchers. The researchers then infer which political ads are being targeted at which groups of users, data that Facebook doesn't publicize. They're not transparent about it. Does that arrangement violate the consent decree? Two sections of order could conceivably apply. There's only section two, which requires Facebook to get a user's consent before sharing data with someone else. Well, it's not that's not the case because this isn't about Facebook sharing data with someone. This is about a user sharing data with someone, not Facebook. Facebook's not the one sharing the data. Since the ad observer relies on users' agreement to share data, not Facebook itself, this isn't relevant. So there's only one other potential section to consider. When Facebook shares data with outsiders, it has certain obligations to police that data sharing relationship, says John Mayer, a a professor of computer science and public affairs at Princeton. But there's nothing in the order about if a user wants to go off and tell a third party what they saw on Facebook. That's not applicable. There's no rule saying that you, looking at your Facebook page, can't tell somebody else what you saw. That's not against Facebook's terms of services. That's what this browser extension does. So Facebook is um, claiming that their back is against the wall, their hands are tied, we, we, we have no choice, we have to shut down your data. No, you don't, because there's nothing in that degree, that uh, ruling from the FTC that specify, you know, they're they're not in violation of anything n- listed in that FTC. So Mozilla's coming out kind of hot on the mic, letting the world know, no, these this lab is doing everything legit, and there's no reason Facebook should stop the experiment and the data. It's just that Facebook doesn't want that data to be known because it's a it's a big part of their revenue, which is finance uh, ads, uh, political ads, essentially. So next big story is that TikTok says it's testing TikTok stories, <laughs> which is there as if TikTok videos weren't small enough. I mean, most of them are one minute anyways, but in this case, they will be ephemeral. So they'll be, you know, be like 24 hours, uh, just like Snapchat snaps and Instagram and Facebook stories and TikTok brilliantly is calling these TikTok stories Uh and at the same time, Twitter today, at the same day, TikTok launches their ephemeral 24-hour uh, evaporating stories. 
Twitter shuts down their evaporating what they call fleets, which are, you know, tweets that self-delete in 24 hours. And that little fleet bar at the top is going to have an entirely new purpose, which everyone who's ever used an app called Clubhouse, I think many of you have used an app called Clubhouse, most of you anyways. And that um, new area, which was the fleet bar, is now going to be called the space bar because Twitter calls their version of Clubhouse Twitter Spaces. And now you know what they have in mind for the Twitter space bar. And that's going to be their version of the hallway, essentially, in the next update. So um, you can keep an eye out for that. The next big headline is that Senators Loomis, White, and Toomey propose amendment to the infrastructure bill excluding crypto developers, miners, node operators, and others from the broker definition that was causing a whole bunch of people wondering if they were going to have to up and move out of America, particularly um, miners and developers. And even Jack Dorsey took to Twitter today to say, thank you, Senator Loomis and uh, Wyden and Toomey, (laughs) because he was worried he might have to up and move out of America if this went through, because it would force him and anyone else to collect all of the official verified names and addresses of every single person who touches their technology in any kind of way, uh, according to the IRS. So, and if you don't do what the IRS says, you just end up sitting in a nice little concrete box until you figure out that you should be complying. And they're more than happy to let you take as long as you need in that little concrete box to contemplate whether or not you want to share that data. So, um, these senators are now proposing an amendment to the infrastructure bill uh, to, to exclude crypto developers, miners, and node operators from being defined as brokers, which brokers are the ones who are responsible for collecting this data. So we shall see. Even uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of uh, Coinbase, obviously uh, doesn't want to do this either because he certainly falls into this. So he he did a 10-tweet uh, uh, thread on Twitter as well. And a whole bunch of people were starting to panic that they might have to flee. So anyway, the next big story is that Indian Digital Bank, Juniper, raises $45 millions. Not a surprise. Uh, Sequoia participated. And uh, the next big one is ByteDance has laid off hundreds of employees working on its online education business following China's crackdown on the sector. Makes sense. Next one, Google refreshes its Nest lineup, which is its cameras and devices and its little Wi-Fi devices and including its video doorbell, the Nest doorbell, and indoor cameras with a unified design language and lower prices, a whole new lineup of cameras for Nest. Google uh, has announced a new line of home security cameras and a video doorbell under its Nest brand. And I will tweet this out so you can have a nice looky-loo at these new Nest cameras, which are beautiful and they've even got the floodlight version and yeah they're incredibly stylish so and indeed they needed to come down in price they were quite overpriced i have to say previously um and now that you get the doorbell in four different colors to match your door instead of just white anyway pretty cool looking stuff and then the next big article at this moment is that uber did their quarterly reports they were up 114 percent year over year And 
Uber beat on both the top and bottom lines in the second quarter. And the company reported net income of just over a billion dollars. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll be interesting to see. I mean, they don't really have new competitors coming in in the U.S., but they will continue to have to add on new products and features and services and, and eventually autonomize themselves somehow. And they sold their autonomy division and Tesla's getting closer and closer to autonomizing and uh, VW and others. It's going to be interesting. Amazon as well. Uh, I don't envy them. That's going to be a really tough race. Indian startup called Mind Tickle, which offers tools to improve sales staff raises $100 million at a 1.2 valuation making from SoftBank. And we just figured out something really interesting when we met last about six hours ago. And this headline helps prove it. This is a breaking news. This one I just read about a new Indian unicorn. It's, you know, they just announced their fundraising. They just reached a valuation of 1.2 billion. It's another new unicorn. That's number 18 for India this year. That's tremendous, by the way. And they're called Mind Tickle. And they just raised 100 million from SoftBank. And I have an, uh, the world's easiest prediction, which is SoftBank's going to be doing a whole shit ton of investing in India for the rest of the year. How do I know that? Because it has been revealed now that um, the Chinese investors you know, can no longer invest in EdTech. China was the biggest EdTech market where they were investing $120 billion in EdTech in China. And now they no longer can. And the number two market is India, which is now the number one market because China is not a market anymore for ad tech. So the number one market in the world now is India. And uh, there was a whole bunch of ad tech investors from China who legally are not able to invest in India. India doesn't want your Chinese money. So smart uh, SoftBank, which is based in Japan, has really good relationships with China and India. So guess where all that Chinese money is going? to SoftBank to invest in India, in EdTech. And so let's read that headline again, that an Indian startup, MindTickle, which offers tools, uh, raised $100 million, uh, from SoftBank. Oh, what a surprise, because that they've got more money than they can possibly spend by the, for the rest of the year. So they're going to be just, it's just going to be a money cannon firing, you know, raining dollar bills down on India. And Masa is right in the middle of that. And he's going to get 20% carry fees on all of that stuff. And fantastic. How amazing. So the next big headline is that Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service, IMDb TV, arrives on iOS and Android more than two years after its launching. Next up is Apple Place's female engineering program manager on administrative leave after she tweeted about sexism in the office. And this boy, does this have the Twitter sphere tweeting. And it's it's even that's the headline from The Verge that I just read. The other variations of this, like Fox News says, Apple exec says she was placed on leave after raising sexism concerns, other workplace issues. And Apple Insider says female Apple employee put on administrative leave following tweets about sexism in the workplace, uh, publicly tweeting. That's where Apple's going to crack down hard on you. Uh, They have a really strict like don't. We don't talk about internal stuff externally on Twitter. Apple itself doesn't have a Twitter account. Yeah, that's right. The world's biggest company, yeah, doesn't have a Twitter account. Yeah, that's because they have an incredibly strict, firm, long-held 
a legacy policy of not letting internal issues outside the company. So if you're an employee and you tweet something, uh, you're toast. It doesn't matter if it's about sexism or what it's about. And there was a there's there's pre precedence on that. Anyways, but technically they have one, but they don't tweet. So if you look, there is an Apple handle, but there's no tweets. Oh, let me check that out. <laughs> If you go to Apple, oh, indeed, they do now have their logo, and it's verified, and it's verified that they don't tweet. <laughs> They've never done a tweet, but it's verified. <laughs> they own their own Apple account. Um, well, to be fair, Tim Tim Cook tweets a fair amount, but sure. obviously highly curated. Sure. And so, what is this about? This art, this this uh, Apple placing female engineer program manager on administrative leave. Her name's Ashley. Gajovic, which is either a Danish or Norwegian name, and says the employee, well, no, it's sound, Ashley's not a Norwegian. The last name is Norwegian or, or Danish, but it's um, Ashley's not. So maybe she married or maybe it's a family name and she's American, Norwegian or something like that. And she says the employee relations team implied she should stay off Slack pending an ongoing investigation. And she tweeted out, so the follow, so following raising concerns to Apple about sexism, hostile work environment, and unsafe working conditions, uh, I'm now on indefinite paid administrative leave per Apple employee relations while they investigate my concerns. This seems to include me not using Apple's internal Slack. Wanted to share, Apple employee relations confirmed this tone policing is totally okay feedback for me to get from my big tech male leaders and not sexist. As this investigation rolls on, I've decided to start tweeting the stuff they say is okay. I mean, they did say it was okay. Oh, Ashley. <laughs> so she uh, she's tweeted out a um an a a a iMessage conversation of her and her boss internally. It's an internal communication between Apple employees that she made public. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's sexism or not. You're going to get fired for that, even if it has nothing to do with Even if you're just talking about uh, where do we want to go for lunch today? Uh, because that's internal commute comms that, that you need permission to make public and you didn't. And that's a fireable offense. I'm sure that's in your contract. So um, anyway, but in this case, she felt she was in the right and even says, well, I I asked Apple if this was okay for my boss to talk to me this way. And they said, it's okay. So I guess that means it can be public. No, Ashley, that doesn't mean it can be public. <laughs> that just means they're saying they don't see necessarily anything wrong with what your boss said to you. That didn't give you permission to publicize it. So feedback on the pre here's what the conversation she had with her uh, male leaders that she asserts is, is sexist. She says, she got here's the thread it says feedback on the presentation today i was specifically looking for tone you did great i didn't hear you going up an octave at the end of your statements came across as much more authoritative it's super refreshing to provide feedback and then see you attempt to act on it thank you okay so she thought that was uh uh, that was she was certainly troubled by that. I'll tweet that out right now to the Tech News Twitter account so you can read it for yourself. Uh, and she had issue with it, so she took it up with HR. And then uh, they said they don't see a problem with it. And then she said, "Okay, well then I'm just gonna let's see what let's see what the court of public opinion thinks." 
and let's tweet this. And then they said, oh, Ashley, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, that's an internal comms you had with your boss. And so anyway, so she now she's on administrative paid leave while they figure out what they're going to do with Ashley. So interesting uh, development there. And in today's Apple Employee Relations said in the final, uh, uh, I'll, I'll tweet out the Verge article as well so you can see the other tweets that uh, she felt like sharing. Uh with her Twitter followers that, of course, journalists are very interested in. So the next biggest headline at this very moment is Etsy drops by 10, more than 10% after reporting, after reporting better than expected Q2 results. What? What do you mean drops 10% after a better? That makes no sense. That's contradictory. Revenue up 23% year over year. And their Q3 guidance suggests pandemic sales boost is over. Okay, so that's why it's dropping down because their guidance, meaning after they shared their data that they had better than expected results, normally your stock would go up. However, in their phone call with their investors uh, in the Q&A session following, they said in their guidance, which means how they expect to do next quarter, uh, their guidance suggests that the pandemic sales boost is over, and that's why this stock is down 10%. So uh, Apple is reportedly considering using a on-device hashing algorithms to match photos with known child abuse material, a potentially problematic practice. Apple is reportedly set to announce new photo identification features that will use hashing algorithms to match the content of photos uh, of known child abuse. Ah, they're trying to catch uh, child predators. And if they can build a kind of database, I guess, of infringing content, and then if they find that content on your computer, what happens? Apple is reporting to set, Apple is reportedly set to announce new photo identification features that will use hashing algorithms to match the content of photos in users' photo libraries with known child abuse materials, such as child pornography. Apple's system will happen <clears throat> on the client, meaning inside your device, on the user's device, it says. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> I should have just read the next sentence. Um, in the name of privacy, meaning that it, it's not going to do it in the cloud, and then they would know that you have it. It's happening on your device without Apple knowing that you have it on your device. In the name of privacy. So the iPhone would download a set of fingerprints representing illegal content and then check each photo in the user's camera roll against that list. Presumably, any matches would then be reported for human review. Oh, boy. Apple has previously said it in employees hashing techniques as photos are uploaded to iCloud. This new system would be done on the client side, on the user's device. Apple is yet to officially announce this new initiative and the details will matter. At a high level, this kind of system is similar to the machine learning features for objects and scene identification already present in Apple's photos. Analysis happens on device and users can take advantage of better search functionality, meaning you can search for dog and it will show you all the photos of dog on your device. So, however, cryptography and security expert Matthew Green notes that this that the implications of such a rollout are complicated. Hashing algorithms are not foolproof and may turn up false positives. If Apple allows governments to control the fingerprint content database, then perhaps they could use the system to detect images of things other than clearly illegal child content, such as to suppress political activism. However, 
Note, note that all photos uploaded to iCloud Photos for backup and sync are not stored end-to-end encrypted anyways. Photos are stored in an encrypted form on Apple server farms, but the keys to the decrypt are also owned by Apple. This means that law enforcement agencies can subpoena Apple and see all of a user's up- uploaded photos. This is not unusual. All third-party photo services work this way. It is possible that... In the future, Apple could roll out similar systems to scan content on the client side on their devices that would later be stored on the server on Apple's side in the end-to-end encryption manner. Many governments have campaigned for such a system from E2E private messages uh, apps like iMessage or WhatsApp as they are worried that the increasing shift to encrypted communications will make it harder for law enforcement to find and prosecute child abuse cases. Green speculates that Apple wouldn't have invested in developing this system if applying to -to end-to-end encryption content wasn't a long-term goal. Good point. So, interesting to note on that one. Next big article is a brand new one. Researchers studying 300,000 YouTube viewers from 2016 to 2019 suggest that radicalization via algorithm is not widespread. Most stick to their ideological corners. Well, that's good news that you kind of got to go out of your way to become radicalized. And it's not actually YouTube who's radicalizing people. That's comforting. So um, tracking tracking user behavior shows that most people don't go down radical rabbit holes. Well, with the exception, yeah, no, uh, no, I won't make any jokes there. Okay, so the Blue Core, which helps (laughs) brands improve e-commerce offerings across the platform, raises a whole bunch of money. Big whoop! Oh, and they they join they add a billion valuation. So Blue Core improves e-commerce is now a unicorn. Ethereum's quote unquote London hard fork has been activated with changes to how transaction fees are calculated to decrease volatility among other fixes is one of our resident crypto geeks on stage at the moment. They're not. So Ben is in the audience though. Ame? Ben. Ben, ben, ben ah, here the- comes Ben. And let's see. Donna's in the audience. Donna, also. jump on up. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, everyone's in the audience. I need to invite everybody up. My, my bad. <laughs> hey, Donna. How you doing? Hey, hey. Good, thanks. Hey, hey Donna. Hey, Cheryl. How's it Donna. going? Where's Donna? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an Ethereum yeah, guy. Um, so maybe uh, maybe one of the Ethereum ME or somebody, one of the more Ethereum people want to speak about it. Um, I Hard forks are a incompa- uh, not, backward compatible, uh, not backward compatible change to the rules of the game. Um, which slightly concerns me with a currency. <laughs> uh, that's all I would say. But uh, yeah, good luck. I hope it goes through. What, what was the well, question? What's what's going on with the Ethereum London hard fork and just oh yeah, the hard it. fork is going to basically move it and migrate it over to proof of stake, and it's already begun, and it's going to make Ethereum deflationary, which basically means Vitalik is going to be moving the whole Ethereum to make it basically decentralized. So he's taking those steps, and that was what he just began by basically moving up the date of the hard fork and that actually happened last night and clearly you're you're seeing the impact of it now which is that ethereum as it's starting to be used from today going forward will beca- will start to get burnt so instead of it being available it'll start to burn off the eth and as the eth burns off it'll make the eth that's existing valued it more and I'm seeing it with these uh, lovely little NFTs and the fact that the gas wars have begun again. And the miners are not happy about the 1559 because EIP 1559 is going to 
basically take away a piece of the revenue, a huge chunk of the revenue that miners make on the Ethereum blockchain, which in essence they don't want. But that's why Vitalik also sort of really forged forward to get that done sooner. He was going to do it in October, but he said he was like, no, I need to do this now because the miners were in some ways going to revolt. <laughs> Obviously, because you're taking a piece of their their revenue, whether it's a cash cow. And now what's happening is as it becomes deflationary over time, it'll address something called the MEV. And MEV stands for minor extracted value. And that's a little bit of a verbose explanation, but I'm happy if anyone wants to have that ex a little room on what that means. And I'm happy to do a room on that at some point later. But for now, it's, it's going to move forward. It is moving forward. It's causing a major gas war on the Ethereum blockchain right now. And the transaction fees are going a little bit mad. <laughs> so it is the miners are definitely doing their own indirect way to uh, protest, per se. Well, yes, um, I think all of that is true. It also underscores how um, centralized Ethereum is that this one guy, Vitalik, you know, basically decides what's going on. Um, and also the fees are so high that it is, you know, they get high and then they get low. The taxation, it's like a tax system for the people that have the the more of the Ethereum to be able to stake it, um, as to be able to stake it as it's gonna move to, to proof of stake. Uh, I think they have a lot of sorting out to do to be generous um, and to be able to do more than just use it as a way in which to extract fees from users that wanna, whether they're doing DeFi or NFTs, et cetera, um, as a tax uh, to be able to use what's supposed to be a public a public resource. Mm, but that's not a tax. Where are you getting the tax? I'm calling it a tax. I know it's not a tax. I'm calling it a tax. It's a fee. It's a fee for their work. That's what's proof of work. Yeah. It's a yeah, fee for the miners' work. work. Yeah, so we also need to note that it's moving from proof of work to proof of stake, which means it used to be that people, to have the most control of the network, you had to spend real world energy. And we're now saying that the people with the most token uh, now have the most opportunity to to mine. So I make of that what you will, but uh, yeah, that's what we're moving into. Okay, thank you for that. So the next big headline at the moment is that the Department of Homeland Security, uh, which is responsible for securing America domestically, like at airports and all, you know, that kind of stuff, um, unveils the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative to combat ransomware attacks and cyber attacks in partnership with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and others. Creation of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaboration follows high-profile cyber attacks. And where's that article? Here it is. It says the U.S. government is enlisting the help of tech companies, including Amazon, Microsoft, Google, to bolster the country's critical infrastructure defenses against cyber threats after a string of high profile attacks. The Department of Homeland Security on Thursday today is formally unveiling the initiative called the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. The effort will initially focus on combating ransomware and cyber attacks on cloud computing providers, which is Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Those are the three big cloud companies. So now you know why they're part of this collaboration. The effort will initially focus on combating ransomware and cyber attacks on cloud computing providers, uh, said Jen Easterly, director of DHS's security Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Ultimately, she said, it aims to improve defense planning and information sharing between government and the private sector. Here's the quote. This will ultimately 
bring people together in peacetime so that we can plan for how we're going to respond in wartime, she said in an interview. Uh, this will uniquely bring people to yeah. Over the past year, ransomware attacks have disrupted large parts of daily life in the U.S. They have diverted ambulances, caused long lines of gas stations in the southeast, and disrupted the production of hot dogs and other meat products. Not the hot dogs. Anything but the hot dogs. Following the ransomware attack last month on the cloud services provider Kaseya, President Biden warned R Russian President Big Vladdy Daddy that the U.S. would take any necessary action to protect its infrastructure from these incidences. Just days later, the administration blamed hackers affiliated with the Chinese Ministry of State Secretary for a separate set of attacks on users on Microsoft Exchange service software. Tackling cyber security such as ransomware has to be a whole-of-nation effort, Miss Easterly said. The Department of Homeland Security is rolling out the effort at the annual Black Hat Computer Security Conference taking place this week. The disruptions have made cybersecurity a major area of concern beyond the White House. And... Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Should have done this five years ago, to be honest. So Tyler, can I just mention one thing? Yeah. Down here. Yeah. Um, I expect to see even more um, agencies use national security as a way in which to get money from the budget. I think in uh, in Gensler's speech before the Aspen Institute, uh, Secretary of uh, SCC, I mean, sorry, Chairman of SCC, he must have mentioned national security 10 times. And, and it was the SEC is poor, national security. SEC is poor, national security. So we'll see how many other agencies start doing the same thing. Not to say it's not important, but it's a good way to get some money. Cool. Uh, Sana, welcome to the stage. I think it's your first time. So just a warm yes. welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me, uh, accepting my invitation up, uh, sure. Tyler. I really love your uh room and uh, usually wait for it like anticipating just to see what you got it's absolutely beautiful um, so I'm just gonna go back into when you said about Microsoft Amazon and Google yeah they will collaborate together so what do you think a future of having them all as one entity versus uh, as a competition per se as we mm. see right now. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is that is that something that you think is going to come in? Especially with the big data and all that. They are super competitive on the cloud front. I have firsthand experience right. in this case because I do the largest uh, technology conference festival in Scandinavia and they compete to be a sponsor of that event. And they're viciously competitive on that front. And... Um, they really want to outdo each other. And I meet with the cloud teams from Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. I would even say I'm friends with them. And um, they take it very seriously. In fact, Google just hired away one of the key people from Amazon in, in, in Sweden. Uh, she, then she moved over to London to join Google, but she was previously at Amazon with their cloud team. So it's it's really, really competitive. I can't imagine them working together in a commercial way. I can see them working. Right. Yeah. For the government, that's what I was wondering. Is like, how are they going to deal if they're going to be working all for the same purpose? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, and they're, that's what's well, kind of cool. Well, by the way, so is Facebook and Twitter are also incredibly competitive, actually. C culturally, they do not get along ever. Never have, never will. Yeah, right. just too com and I 
I've heard hilarious stories of when the Twitter founders went to visit Mark at his office and, and so, and vice versa when Jack went to Mark's house. And I mean, these are really wild stories. They do, they are just polar opposites culturally. And yet their security teams share information about hackers and on their systems and bad actors on their platforms and etc so they they are willing to collaborate when it's mutually beneficial in a limited you know capacity so i i i don't have any problem with that i think that you know they're just going to be very um they'll continue to be competitive because there's a lot of money at stake still in that in the cloud space and 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 they're competing for huge clients, for example, even like the Pentagon, by the way, the Pentagon was going to upgrade their whole system. And then Microsoft won it during Trump because Trump hates Amazon and Jeff Bezos and Amazon wants a re, you know, want, thinks that wasn't fair. So they're going to redo the whole process to see if Amazon actually now has a chance now that Trump's out of the office. And it, so Anyway, there's still remember, a... there was that scandal around employment in Silicon Valley where the DOJ stopped them from kind of not poaching each other as employees a yep. few years back. So yep. I think the government, if they get too cozy, the government's going to step in and not allow them to cooperate or, or God, for, God forbid, merge. I mean, I can't imagine that. No, that, that ain't going to happen. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thought in the ways that they work together, even though they're so wildly competitive. Um, but I think this is the right approach because... Uh, similar to Facebook and Twitter, where, and they're not the only ones, but you get normal kind of strong competitors at collaborating in issues that they both struggle with independently, and they can both solve a keen pain point together if they cooperate. So, um, and, and the net goal is everybody wins. So especially the users, and especially in this case, like all the, it's actually the, the real benefactor is going to be the customers of their cloud platforms more than them themselves. And so glad to see that this is coming about, but also a little confused why this wasn't done earlier. It seems kind of obvious in, in hindsight, but happy that it's happening uh, in any case. So the, the next biggest headline is uh, that Amnesty International uh, is saying that out of 53 companies, of the, which are the largest VC firms, only one meets UN human rights due diligence standards. And what they mean is when VCs, which are the investors who give money to tech startups, when they are considering giving money to a startup, they're not checking thoroughly as to what uh, if that startup is um, compliant with UN human rights issues. Meaning, is this startup have a technology that's being used to abuse human rights? And in this story, they give the example of some facial recognition systems like the one in China called SenseTime, which is being used in Xinjiang in Uyghur detention camps. And so SoftBank invested in them. So clearly SoftBank didn't do due diligence to find that out, or maybe they didn't care, or maybe they did know, and they still didn't care. Who knows? That's sort of the point of this article, which is investors don't seem to care. I mean, that's, yeah, venture capitalists don't, the, the actual headline in 80-point font is venture capitalists don't care about human rights abuses, Amnesty Report shows. Yeah, they, they don't care. There's no reason for them to care because there's no pun, there's no doubt, there's no punishment for caring or there's no punishment for not caring. 
the only potential punishment, I would say. Even writing articles like this isn't going to change anything because nobody's tracking you. That would require you to do the due diligence and then shame them after the fact and say, hey, you gave money to this startup and this startup's doing this. And they can say, well, we didn't know that. And you can't prove that we did know that. So you writing these articles isn't really going to help much either. What is going to potentially help is the VCs get their money from what are called LPs, limited partners. VCs mean venture capitals. And the venture capital firms get their money from limited partners, LPs, which are very often um, sovereign wealth funds or pension funds, which are government funds, and um, very big foundations. Uh, you know, like the Ford Foundation, all of these prestigious family foundations. And all of them are very, very hypersensitive to the idea that their money might be given to bad actors of some kind or stripe or flavor. And that's where the 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 change in behavior will happen is if the LPs feel like, ah, this VC gives money to bad actors. I'm not next time they ask, I'm not going to give it to them. So that's where the behavior will change. Anyway, so that's just a little little insider baseball of how the sausage gets made with the money flows uh, in tech uh, investing. So the next big article is uh, from Bloomberg. It says, um, the talk. Uh, the Taiku, which helps enterprises use AI for data analytics, raises $400 million from Tiger, Tiger Global at a $4.6 billion valuation. New York-based firm raises $400 million for expansion. Investors include Tiger Global. And Tiger Global was also named in the previous article of the 53 largest VC firms that don't do due diligence. And by the way, you can understand as often as we read headlines about Tiger Global giving hundreds of millions of, to people every day, when you're writing checks every 30 minutes, you don't have the the two days necessary to figure out if all of the clients of this startup are using the product ethically. So until there's a pain, until there's a, they have a good reason to stop doing that, it'll, it'll be business as usual. Um, the next big headline at the very moment is... 25 oil and gas organizations spent $9.25 million on, on Facebook ads in 2020, seen 431 million times. That's a lot of Facebook ads, $9.5 million in Facebook ads, potentially undermining Facebook's ban on oil and gas misinformation. Yeah, probably is. Let's have a look from The Guardian. I will tweet it out so you can save it and tweet it out to your friends so that we can save the world by simply clicking retweet. It doesn't actually work like that, but some, a lot of people think it does. Um, anyway, the think tank called Influence Map accuses petroleum giants of gaming Facebook to promote oil and gas as part of climate crisis solutions. Facebook failed to enforce its own rules to curb an oil and gas industry misinformation campaign over the climate crisis during last year's potential election, according to new analysis released on Thursday. That's today. The report by the London-based think tank Influence Map identified increasing in advertising on the social media site by ExxonMobil and other fossil fuel companies aimed at shaping the, um, based on, uh, uh, by ExxonMobil and other fossil fuels company aimed at shaping the political debate and policies to address global warming. Influence Map said its researchers showed that 
fossil fuel industry has moved away from outright denying the climate crisis and is now using social media to promote oil and gas as part of the solution. The report also exposed what it said was Facebook's role in facilitating the dissemination of false claims about global heating by failing to consistently apply its own policies to stop erroneous advertising. Now, this gets really interesting because Facebook has just found itself in a bit of a pickle with the U.S. government for having misinformation about COVID, which is a huge issue right now. How much longer, as all of the fires are burning all across the Mediterranean, and you know, as things become more and more uninhabitable, as California runs out of water, as shit starts getting real, at what point will the government also do the same to Facebook about misinformation about climate change? As soon as it becomes an existential threat, which, yeah, California's running out of water. We had, when we met here seven hours ago, two gentlemen from Turkey who came on here with a very uh, a notable amount of anxiety in their voices about the if you've seen the headlines my dear lord is turkeys on fire and they came on here asking for help because they're not allowed to ask for help because if they use the hashtag help turkey they their words were and these were very highly intelligent seasoned entrepreneur investor types from turkey saying we can't even ask for help because the government's monitoring it. And if we do it, they're, they've said they're going to come kick our ass. And they said, uh, the, the gentleman, one of the gentlemen on stage said, and when they say it in this context, we believe them. So we're even afraid to even tweet about this stuff or be publicly. Uh, and it, it, it was really kind of stomach turning what's going on in Turkey, where the government, as much as these cities are burning in Turkey on the Mediterranean, even Bodrum, what, like their flagship uh, tourist city on the coast, gorgeous city, one of the world's jewels of a city is burning. The mayor is like begging for help and the government's not helping. And it's become wildly politicized. And the citizens are freaking out and their homes are burning down and nobody's coming to help despite their pleas for help. And they came in here wondering, you know, how 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 we might be able to help. And if anyone here can be able to help. And they were specifically looking for big airplane water tankers that can fly because they don't happen to have any. And the government's not letting even the airplanes they do have be used for dropping water. The roads are closed because the fires are so intense. You can't do anything on the roads. So you, the only way you can put these fires out, because these are like, you know, 30 meter tall flames engulfing these cities. It looks like hell on earth. And the only way you can put that kind of fire out is with, um, you know, water bombing aircraft, which uh, they need help securing. So it's, um, yeah, will, will Facebook be able to turn a blind eye to ExxonMobil, um, you know, with their politicized ads about climate change for much longer. I, I find that an interesting question, given that they're now in the hot seat over misinformation around COVID. So Tyler. Yes. Um, so I didn't connect the dots until I just heard you speak. But um, one of my cousins who happens to be a physician in the U.S. Um, has a new photo frame. And it says, um, disinformation is deadly, vaccines save lives. And so this was, this was her new Facebook photo frame as of 
two hours ago. And I just thought, oh, she's just trying to get the push out. But I think a lot of times these photo frames are designed from within, you know, the platform itself. And so perhaps this is some sort of small step that they're trying to make to counter all of the disinformation that they've allowed on their platform. Okay. So um, what do we got? Next big article is from um, European virtual events platform Hopin raises $450 million at a 7.75 billion valuation and Centrelink, which offers identity verification APIs to financial institutions, raises $70 million led by Kraft Ventures and Andreessen Horowitz. Oh, okay. I see. Got it. Um, Identity verification APIs, Centrelink. Uh, by the way, these investors, Andreessen Horowitz and Kraft Ventures, which is David Sachs, you don't get uh, more, you don't get better investors than that for, uh, in my book. And these are wildly intelligent folks who know how the web will unfold uh, before mo other people do. Mark Andreessen was the creator of the browser, after all. Uh, he he had, a, had a glimpse as to how, how and he consistently ha, has always had a, a view over the horizon. And David Sachs at Craft Ventures is a, an absolute marvel. And the Centrelink um, making APIs to make it easy to do um, identity verification, well, that could be a huge market, as I've predicted. Uh, if you follow us regularly, you know I've been ranting like a maniac about how this is coming fast and furious, and this is just another feather in that cap that uh, indeed it's coming right along when when an a identity verification API companies raising uh, seventy million from brilliant investors, nonetheless. Tencent resumes accepting user resignations on WeChat after suspending them on July 27th for a security technical upgrade to comply with Chinese regulations. And so the five people in China who are not on WeChat can now get back on WeChat. Um, the next one is what? EA uh, Electronic Arts, one of the biggest video game companies in the world, ha didn't have a good quarter. And that's not a surprise because that's an incredibly competitive space. And uh, video games is one of those... Uh, areas where it's hard to stay on top unless you start acquiring all of the smaller game studios underneath, which is what Tencent is doing. And EA would need to do the same if they want to maintain their kind of dominance in the game space. Tinder parent company, Match Group, Match.com bought Tinder, essentially, which is also owned by AIC, which is Barry Diller in New York. Beautiful building over there. <laughs> anyway, Match Group says it will add audio and video chat to including group live video, so group video calls, to several of its brands in the next 12 to 24 months, maybe even Tinder, which leads to the question, um, what's Tinder going to look like leaving one funny person named Corey gonna, Quigg to, to make a... It's going to be the shoot your shot room. <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, that somebody tweeted out uh, introducing DickTok, like, like TikTok, but D-I-K-T-O-K, DickTok. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tinder video chat. Yeah, that could get spicy. So, uh, the next big headline is that Amazon and Google patch 
uh, a bug in in their platforms that exposes users' internal network and traffic. Other DNS providers are likely vulnerable. And Human Interest is a company uh, pro- which is a provider for SMBs that provides zero transaction fees. They raised $20 million at a $1 billion valuation. Less than six months uh, since their last fundraise. So that's something to make note of. That's a hot space. A look at Amazon's dilemma around mandating worker vaccines, which could alienate the many virus skeptics in its warehouse ranks amid a tight labor market. Indeed, I'd be interested to know what percentage of Amazon's team members are um, anti-vaxxers and would refuse vaccinations. And now if Amazon's uh, enforcing vaccinations, they're going to turn away a whole bunch of their anti-vax team members. I guess we'll find out soon enough. So the next big headline is a look at new labor force using microtask platforms like uh, Remo Tasks to create and edit data sets for self-driving cars located primarily in the global south. What this refers to is um, what we call artificial artificial intelligence. And what that means is there is... Uh, it says often users treat tech like it's magic. Terms like smart and autonomous imply that humans are not involved in the process, that it's, you know, algorithms. But that's far from the case. Uh, to make self-driving cars a reality requires thousands of hours of invisible labor by humans doing remote tasks. And that's the premise of my friend Jasper and, and Bryce's company called Task Us, which started very uh, innocently, as everybody does, with, you know, 13 team members in, in Manila, and that's grown to over 30,000 team members, and they provide mechanical human um, labor in, in what we call artificial, artificial intelligence. So when you, you know, um, upload photos and, you know, you want to be able to search for a dog, in fact, maybe somebody tagged all of your photo dog with have dogs in them for you man, manually, but you thought it was done through the magic of AI. As an example, that that not isn't necessarily a, 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 a real case, but you get the idea. So, um, yeah, artificial artificial intelligence is a very real thing. The next big article is that Instacart hires longtime Facebook ads chief Carolyn Everson, who left in June as president, following other high-profile hires from Facebook, including the new CEO at Instacart. And the last of the big headlines is Microsoft pauses its free trials of Windows 95 service. Okay. Now we get into the fun articles that everyone's been tweeting in. These are the this is what everyone's been waiting for, essentially. And um, does anyone have a particularly hot one they've seen since we met uh, last that they would like to make sure that we cover? You can just mention it, and I can tell you if it's in my stack of upcoming tweets, if you wish. And anyone in the audience can jump up and share a tweet. Or a headline, or you can share it from the comfort of being in the audience by simply tweeting it and using the hashtag T, uh, no, the at symbol TNATW, which you can see above my head. And that way we get a notification. We see that you tweeted it and it allows us to review it and see if we want to retweet it to our 4,000 plus Twitter followers and, and read it here in the room. So that's how it works. Anyone got one they're burning with? I will jump into it. Let's jump into it. So the fastest 5G network has been revealed. And it might not be your first guess. With 5G competition heating up, uh, and let's narrow it down. What What is the fastest 5G network 
in the UK? Any, anyone want to take a guess? O2. Anybody else? UK? Yes. That's British Telecom, right? Isn't it a company called Three? Well, we're, co- we're starting to cover all the bases. Isn't it Three? <laughs> no. Vodafone? T-Mobile? China. Who knows? Just tell us. Okay. It kind of depends what you mean by fastest, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> There's only four it's networks, four basic networks in the UK, so it's one of those Which four. Which one Everybody sucks? Else uses one of those. Um, E-E. Uh, three, blah, 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 but it's a company devoted to... Uh, so you'll know Ookla best from its brilliant speed test app which shows you just how fast your Wi-Fi or cellular connection is. It's always an eye-opener, usually because of blah, blah, blah. And, but it's also a company devoted to network intelligence, and it's been looking at which network has offered the fastest 5G speeds. And in the Q1, Q2 period this year, the fastest speeds have been recorded on the youngest of the four UK networks. That's got to be three. That was three. There you go. So, um, to whoever, who said three first? That's me, Vinay. There you go, Vinay. I thought it was Evan, but okay. So, there you go. So, three it has the fastest speeds at the 5G speeds. And then... What's the, what's the peak? I mean, is it better or worse than the rest of the world? I'm curious. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get in. Well, you had that chart yourself, yeah, Evan. I guess, I guess like it's worse. 48 hours ago. Because Asia has the top yeah. few. I was Maybe amazed at Thailand. Uh, Thailand was like number four in the world. So yeah. Singapore is number one. But third on your chart that you had, Evan. Yeah. Sorry. But by the way, so that's from that that chart that you had was from HP. The uh, speedtest.net, uh, which people use all over the world to test their speeds, um, they came up with Thailand as number one. And boom. Boom. There we go. Yeah. They don't want to offend your king. I don't think, uh, yeah, I doubt that was uh, what it was about. But COVID cases among children have jumped 84% last week. Here are some of the states where kid hospitalizations are increasing. Boy, I bet bet it's real hard to figure this one out. Um, But the interesting thing is that these um, variations like Delta are, you know, kids are more susceptible to Delta than to Alpha, so to speak. And let's hope that future uh, variations don't continue to get um, more contagious amongst young people. That would be tragic. So, um, especially as they all go to school and everything, you know, um, that's a bit of a Petri dish waiting to happen. So the next big article that we're getting into here is from Aaron. You had one that... Vanguard, which is one of the mega funds, uh, asset manager Vanguard, will reward its staff to get jabbed, but not mandated. But they have a new incentive of, you know, just a cool thousand dollars if you go ahead and get, uh, you know, vaccinated. How's a thousand dollars sound to get vaccinated? Holy shit. And everyone who got vaccinated is like... I think that is quite good because they are trying to use positive uh, reinforcement. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of positive reinforcement for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The, and uh, it also includes those who have already been 
it also include those who have already been vaccinated. So no one lose out. Right. Next headline from CNBC, America's uh, big uh, finance uh, TV, you know, TV station and website. The IRS has seized $1.2 billion worth of cryptocurrency this year so far. And, and here's what happens to it. The U.S. government regularly holds auctions for its stockpile of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and other cryptocurrencies that it seizes and then holds in crypto wallets. It really kicked off with the 2013 takedown of Silk Road, a dark web marketplace trading in illegal goods where Bitcoin was often used for payment. Interviews with current and former federal agents and prosecutors suggest the U.S. has no plans to step back from its side hustle as a crypto broker. In June, the U.S. government casually auctioned off some spare Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin cash. And uh, it could be, oh, they often um, get all kinds of things in, in drug busts, including boats and cars and whatnot. But now more, more and more frequently, they're getting a lot of crypto. So in 2019, they had about 700,000 worth of crypto seizures. In 2020, it went up to uh, kind of doubled to about 140 million. And so far in the first half of 2020, we're at 1.2 billion, about a 10 X increase in the, and we're only halfway through the year. So it's about a 20 X increase from last year. As cybercrime picks up and the hall of digital tokens along with it, government crypto coffers are expected to swell even further. If, if uh, interviews with current and former federal agents, and prosecutors suggest the U.S. has no plans to step back from its episode. So there you go. N next interesting. And, uh, and Tyler, yes? just to point out, they've been using um, for part of that a startup Anchorage Bank to mm -hmm. do the custody. Mm -hmm. So Anchorage is, um, is uh, I believe it's licensed in, um, in Wyoming. I might be wrong, but it's also applied and maybe received a federal license as well. And so it's doing the custody. Um, okay. Tyler, yes. uh, Dr. Danish and John Madison is in, in the room. Yeah, oh, whatever. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And sorry, guys. I'm, uh, 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 so there's Danish. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, so, Cheryl. I just sent Danish a note too, saying, Hey, are you trying to come up? <laughs> okay. So then, and John's in the audience here and Anna Marie's John in the audience. Anna Marie, yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about COVID just now. So, yeah. And so if you have a bio and so a bit of followers, you're more than well, like, uh, then you're welcome on stage, you know, just, there's a whole bunch of, we usually get a bunch of folks with their hands up that don't have much of a bio going on or whatever. So, um, and better that you have a, a headline to share, uh, and that your bio will kind of be relevant to whatever it is you want to talk about. Like Alex Garza, who had just had uh, a hand up and so... Welcome, Alex. So the next ed headline is quite an interesting one that Sony Music Entertainment, which is one of the mega, you know, one of the very few big, huge music conglomerates, you know, re responsible for responsible for about 30 percent of all of the music that you listen to uh, stages auditions now. But these are no ordinary auditions. These are auditions for virtual artists, virtual talents like bots that can sing and dance sony music entertainment has started a new project titled v like for virtual aiming to discover and support the next generation of virtual personalities the new venture aims to debut more than 50 individuals 
for music, voice acting, and creation, distribution, and video production. The application conditions are simply someone who's over 16 years old residing in Japan can continue activities for one year or more. And those who have a dream that they never want to give up, there will be no audition participation fees, selection fees, or fees related to subsequent contracts. With the constantly evolving nature of media, the exact scope of the content is yet to be fully defined. You can concentrate on creating your own worldview, regardless of the reality. The V Project makes three promises. V members, uh, oh no, sorry. Uh, hold on one second here. Hold on for a while. Of virtual, uh, you can coordinate on creating your own worldview regardless of the reality. You can create stories with your friends in real time. You can challenge regardless of your career. The possibilities of virtual liver VTuber are still in the process of being explored. Reads the V description. There's obviously some loss in translation from Japanese to English as there usually is. But for the day your talent blossoms is recognized by the world and your dreams come true, you will do. We will do our best to stay close to you and your character. The V Project makes three promises. V members will be indistinguishable from Sony Music artists in terms of stardom and treatment. V will not rob your name or character. And the best stages will be prepared for virtual talents, including daily support, live performances, and commercial appearances. And applications are now open on the Sony Music website until September 30th. If selected, the next steps include an online and in-person interview followed by character design production and official debut. So if you happen to have, oh, uh, Jean-Francois, perhaps your um, AI would be interested in a rec recording contract with Sony Music Entertainment? Leah? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> this, is just, this is something that we plan, that we wish one day would come. Like, we want to have like those CAA agents, yeah. uh, agency that could sign with, uh, with Leah. And now she's a blogger, so maybe she could become a journalist. <laughs> or a singer. Or both. Or a singer. Uh, this is, uh, and she would be good because uh, I have some tricks regarding this. Very cool. It's wild. I mean, this is this is a, it's a game changer, and people think this is a joke. And this this is for I mean Cheryl and I and other Tomoko who like live in Japan. This is very Japanese to do this. This is like right exactly what they do, and they're not joking. They're not even, it's not even mildly humorous to them. This is like as serious as a heart attack. And well, like if you look, just, just a, a point, if you look at F1, Formula One gas car, uh, uh, normal car uh, versus electric car uh, with the for Formula E, at, at first you would think, oh, it was a joke. And then you, you can see how it goes, it goes, and then it increases. And at some point uh, they will have to, uh, it will be uh the ancestor will be the Formula One, and the Formula E will be the the, the fast one. Mm -hmm. Okay, I kind of like where their head is at with this one. It's so Japanese to take this kind of stuff seriously before the rest of the world does, though. So the next big headline is that the G20, which is the twenty biggest economies on the planet, and they get together once a year for their G20 meeting. The the uh, prime ministers typically. And the G20 countries to discuss digital identity. Oh, okay. Geez, who could have seen this one coming? Wow, I wonder if this whole identity verification thing <laughs> has some legs. 
the G20 countries to discuss digital identity and digital government. Pete Nicholas. And the website is biometricupdate.com. So maybe some... Oh, it says the digital government section will focus on the role of digital identity as a tool to identify oneself to access digital services. Oh, there it is, everybody. Oh, geez. It's coming fast and furious. It's no it's no longer if but when digital ministers of the G20 group of countries will meet Friday tomorrow in Trista for session on digital government and enabling digital transformation. The meetings are expected to culminate in a declaration from ministers. The digital government section will focus on the role of digital identity as a tool to identify oneself to access digital services. You know, like Facebook, you know, like Twitter, you know, like every app on your phone. Secure, here's the quote, secure and privacy compliant digital identity solutions facilitate the continuous and reliable delivery of public services and unlock full participation in society, claims the release from the Italian G20 presidency. The meetings continue dialogue between the member states, which began in February 2021 to ensure an effective international response to COVID-19 pandemic. And the Italian presidency is encouraging information sharing between members, including best practices for government transformation, making the most of data and digital technologies such as artificial intelligence. The tree state ministerial meeting is expected to lead to the issuing of the declaration of the G20 digital ministers. So they're going to have an announcement after their meeting. The G20 recently published the G20 Rome guidelines for the future of tourism, which also included digital identity, biometrics, and contactless transactions to promote seamless travel in response to COVID-19 pandemic. It's It's coming. Yeah, so I have a que- I had a question just now when you talk about uh, the tech company which one Andreessen Holloway's investment in, uh-huh. in, in a in a startup, right? Yeah. So I, I I'm actually quite curious because um I, I'm not sure whether is it uniquely uh US. How are they able to get these tech companies to do to to take care of identity of their citizens and not the government taking care of it? So this G twenty discussion tomorrow, I think it'll be quite quite interesting because I think if they have decided that the government is going to take care of it, I think all these tech companies probably have to comply. Well, watch this next headline, Cheryl. You're going to love this. Estonia says a hacker downloaded 286,000 ID photos from the government database. So are you... Estonia! Are you sure you want the government keeping track of this stuff? Oh, Singapore government is fine. No worries. We Uh, have been doing that for years. Estonia officials said they arrested last week a local suspect who used a vulnerability to gain access to a government database and downloaded government ID photos for 286,438 Estonians. The attack took place earlier this month and the suspect was arrested last week on July 23rd, Estonian police said in a press conference yesterday, July 28th. The identity of the attacker was not disclosed and he was only identified as a Tallinn-based male, meaning he... That's the uh, capital of Estonia, by the way. Suspect abused of vulnerability in RIA database. Officials said the suspect discovered a vulnerability in the database managed by the Information System Authority, the Estonian government agency which manages the county's IT, the country's IT system. The suspect discovered a secret, a security vulnerability in one of the applications that did not sufficiently check the validity of the query to exploit the vulnerability. 
uh, the attacker had to provide the name of an Estonian citizen along with the correct personal identification code. According to Oscar Gross, head of Cybercrime Bureau of the National Criminal Police, this information was discovered on the suspect's computer during a house search last week along with the downloaded photos. Stolen photos were retrieved by authorities. Mm -hmm. So is Estonia part of EU? Yeah. No? Uh, it is? Yes, it is, yeah. Oh, so they'll be joining the EU digital identity soon then? Yes, the digital wallet, yeah, which will include your identity. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So just tweeting that one out. Thank you to Tomiko for that one. But back to your question, Cheryl, about in the case of America, I think Americans much more trust Google's ability to keep data safe than the government's ability to keep data safe. Because when the government launches websites, like when this, even during Obama, Obama had this, what was it called, Chris? The the insurance, Obamacare. Uh, covered, uh, yeah, Obamacare. When Obamacare was launched, there was a website and you had to sign up. Holy shit, that was worse than most startup websites. It just was constantly broken all the time. It was a tragedy and Google had to step in to help and they had a hard time helping. It's just you don't want the government doing tech stuff like this. It, the government ha doesn't have the skills to do tech stuff like this. It's much better left into the hands of legitimate they, tech. They like can't handle um, characters. Like everything's got to be uppercase in some of their databases. And like, um, I just recently when we were checking on your, um, you know, your 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 stimulus money, if you didn't have the address like in the exact format, uh, meaning all caps, uh, it would say that you had didn't have a check on its way. You know. Well, why don't the government yeah, but, collaborate yeah, with one tech company to do it? Like. Of course, Apple. the Social Security Administration and all the state or Department of Motor Vehicles, they all have extremely valuable information. We must be kidding if we think, you know, private companies are so great that, you know, we didn't have all those uh, credit card companies uh, getting hacked and so on. But the government uses private contractors. They're just terrible at exactly. projects and managing delivery and yes. project management. Well, because they hire That's based when you on give the yeah. lowest bidder. <laughs> lowest bid contracts. Oh, no. Well, I don't know if you guys know of a company called VFS that does the biometric collection for visas all around. Vinay, you're super quiet. We can't really hear you. Yeah. Speak closer to your mic, Vinay. Okay, is this better yeah. now? Perfect. Okay, I was saying uh, you guys might be aware of a company called VFS that does the biometric collection for visas for something like 75 countries around the world. Okay. It's a private company. They've got everyone's biometric data, anybody who wants to travel anywhere. Mm. Just think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, let's get into some more headlines here. Um MP Maria Miller wants AI nutifying tool banned I guess that's an MP in the UK Parliament. Uh, and this is from the BBC. And they're calling it a woeful use of AI. It's a nudifier. What's a nudifier? A website that allows people to undress a photograph in seconds is gaining a lot of users, is the headline from the BBC, just tweeting it out. And it says, uh, it comes as another service which allows users to undress women in photos using AI spreads rapidly on social media. The website in question has more than 5 million visits in June alone, according to one an analysis. Celebrities, including Olympic athlete, are among those who 
users claim to have nudified. And the website promises users it can re reveal the truth hidden under clothes. Launched in 2020, it is unclear who's behind it. The BBC has contacted the company for comment but received no reply. According to its Twitter page, it's an AI-leveraged nudifier whose mission is to make all men's dreams come true. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, serious crime. Miss Miller, uh, the MP Miller, told the BBC it was time to consider a ban on such tools. Parliament needs to have the opportunity to debate whether nude and sexually explicit images generated digitally without consent can be outlawed. And I believe if this were to happen, the law would change. She said that it should be an offense to distribute sexual images online without consent to rectify the severity of the impact of people's lives. If software providers develop this technology, they are complicit in a very serious crime and should be required to design their products to stop this from happening. She has been campaigning about so-called revenge porn when nude or sexually explicit images are distributed without consent for the last six years. At the moment, making, taking, or distributing without consent intimate sexual images online or through digital technology falls mostly outside of the law. Nudifier tools, as they are known, are not new. Deep Nude was launched in 2019, but the creators quickly withdrew the service and offered refunds following a backlash. There you go. So the next one is about dopamine fasting. And retweeting this out now for those that want to see it. And it says uh, dopamine fasting has become a popular strategy for regaining the ability to feel pleasure when disconnecting from technology. And uh, it's kind of makes it's kind of uh, intuitive. I think you know what it's about, but you can read that article. And the New York Times has an article uh, that the subscription buffet may be over. Spotify, YouTube and others are experimenting with changing their one size fits all digital subscriptions. Indeed, uh, Spotify came out with a new subscription tier. So did YouTube. Both of them have added new tiers to their what used to be one subscription. You either were paid member or not in YouTube and in Spotify. And now they're adding little in-between tiers to add on more users because the rate of growth of their traditional offerings is starting to slow down. And now you know why. And now you know what's going on. And that's why they say the subscription buffet may be over. And indeed, once the subscription battle, once the whole terrain has been mapped out and you have Spotify land and YouTube land and there's not much room for other players to come in easily because pe the people who didn't have subscriptions have all kind of picked which services they're subscribing to. There's no more kind of virgin wallets to go after. Everyone's kind of um, part of, you know, either Spotify land or YouTube land or what have you. And now they're offering additional tiers to get the kind of stragglers who have not committed to one or the other. So, or what it does, what those new cheaper tiers do is if you're a Spotify subscriber on the regular tier, but you do want to get rid of the YouTube, you know, ads, well then you just get the, the, the cheaper YouTube uh, tier and that way you get the best of both. You Spotify is actually your music library, but you've gotten rid of the YouTube ads or vice versa. You're paying YouTube a lot and then you pay Spotify to get rid of just the ads or whatever. So it's interesting. It's, it's actually really smart to get more granular uh, abilities of which products and features you want from each of these apps and have one of them as your primary one and then 
also have the benefit of using the others. So I kind of like it. The next headline is about Elon Musk. Elon Musk star, speaking of subscribers, Elon Musk Starlink satellite internet boosts its subscriber base by nearly 30% in a single month. And that means it's a wide open race when you're adding 30% new users in a month. Holy shit. That's incredibly fast subscriber growth because he's currently has no one to compete with. So he's nearing now a hundred thousand user milestone and will continue to gain nearly 30% per month until there's a competitor or until he runs out of people to subscribe. But there are now four other companies uh, queuing up to put a horse in that horse race. Amazon, China, uh, 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 and two from India, if I recall correctly. So let me tweet that out so you can read about that. And they expect to have it. Um, and one from Canada, Telesat. Oh, that's right. Telesat. Thank you. I think Japan too, right? Mm, I'd never heard about the Japanese one. Actually, Telesat and Tata is a joint venture. It's India, Canada. Ah, that's why venture. I said two from India. You're right. It was Tata. So, well, and, and Airtel. Airtel in India is also doing theirs. So and Reliance is about to launch. There will be might be three from India. So I saw a video yesterday. Hey, um, Vinay, is for whatever reason, YouTube is sending me a lot of videos about Gravitas from India. It's like a news show. Yeah, the, the, news, the news channel is WION and Gravitas is their show. Right. Yeah, And I like the host. Um, anyway, I, they keep sending me these Gravitas videos. And they sent one yesterday, which basically showed that the U.S. is en route to the South China Sea with its massive navy. The U.K. sent the HMS Queen Elizabeth, their flagship biggest naval vessel, an aircraft carrier. Germany's en route to, and the video is about how Germany deploys warships to the South China Sea. And then in the video, they show uh, now August 7th, India's Navy arrives in the South China Sea. And now it's just, right. it's just been revealed that Indonesia is going to the South China Sea. So you've got, let's recap, the U.S., the U.K., Germany, India, and Indonesia, all with their navies in the South China Sea at the same time. And Japan, by the way. Japan's You're right. A couple of You're right. There. And Japan. Why would we all need to be there at the same time? I'm, I've got a prediction. We're going to announce that we're all recognizing Taiwan. Because if you've got like the 10 biggest navies in the world all at the same time right there surrounding Taiwan, uh, China can't do a goddamn thing about it. <laughs> if we all decide we're going to recognize Taiwan with all of our navies surrounding Taiwan. And this plays into this whole three theme of dollar hegemon, Belt and Road, and the D5 movement. Because, you know, what really drives the dollar hegemon is the sale of our weapons and protecting our friends. So if we need to protect our friends, that drives demand for the dollar up. Is this also about, like, chips and semiconductors? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, well, I, I want to add another country. Australia has got a couple. I was, of I was about. To, I was just about to say that. You're exactly right. <laughs> oh, and in I fact, just... I would think it'd be Australia coming out and making the declaration. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're, no, and I just, right. to, I just tweeted. Uh, Japan just announced yesterday that they're going to put a missile battery on an island that's 150 
kilometers away from Taiwan. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, I just tweeted that to you. Could you so Japan that island called? You know, Say it again. Senkaku? Is it Senkaku Island? Uh, hang on. I'll let me. I tweeted it to TNATW. Hang on. Let me find it. So the only reason, by the way, I brought up, Tyler, the, the chip, the South China Morning Post had an article on this. I can't remember. Maybe it was like a week ago, uh, possibly about in the U.S.-China tech war and how TSMC joined the American Chip Coalition. I think we may have even talked about it. but um, And the whole idea about how China was looking to achieve semiconductor independence from U.S. and how TSMC was something that they were thinking about. And that a lot of this has to do with the chip wars, but I can tweet that out and maybe we can discuss it. Oh, somebody was who asked if this has something to do with semiconductors, because in some sense it does, because... Yeah, that was me. Okay, was well, in some sense it does, because TSMC is in Taiwan, and that's the flagship queen on the chessboard politically um, as Taiwan's most valuable company uh, in terms of political, global, global political influence. Um, yeah, Here, here's that article. Sorry, guys. J Japan's planning to deploy missile units on an island 300 kilometers off the coast of Taiwan to counter China's growing naval, naval presence in the area and defend against a potential Chinese attack. Uh, da -da -da. The installation of new units will make Ishigaki the fourth yep. island in the Nansei Island yep. chain to be armed with Ishigaki. missiles. Yeah, Ishigaki is yeah, super close to Taiwan. China, yeah, they've Japan has one island that's like 111 kilometers from Taiwan. It's like you can see it practically. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's getting hot in that area. Yes. The, the, there's other headlines, by the way, from South China Morning Post, a Chinese publication, um, has the headline, Is China Working a Long Game to Replace U.S. as Number One Power? New book by Rush Dashi argues that in the wake of Brexit, the election of Trump and the pandemic, China has been building found foundations um, for its own something. What, what is it? Has been building foundations for its own world order. China does not want to fall into a spiral of conflict, but at the same time does not fear confrontation on core issues, says Chinese analyst. And so the other related article, I'll tweet that one out, as we always do, to the Tech News Twitter account, TNATW. IndianExpress.com has a headline that says, U.S. versus China is the new Cold War. It's a bumpy ride ahead with China seeking to displace America and remake the world order in its own image, nearly identical to what the South China Morning Post says. So you've got India and China kind of both agreeing on this theme here. Um, and, oh, and this is also about rush dashi uh, or this article from the indian express also references rush dashi tells this story in his brilliant bracing and empirically rich the long game china's grand strategy to displace american order the book takes uh yeah so he also mentions the book as well and the, the this first paragraph says, "Do you think China will ever be an aggressive, an aggressive or expansionist power?" The American, perhaps being the polite, since these were the early days of the rapprochement, said no. And at which point, uh, the Chinese person is supposed to have shot back, "Don't count on it. It is possible." But if China were to, in, oh, there's a story about 1973 when a Chinese. Uh, national asked a young American, do you, yeah, anyway, 
it's a long article, but I'll, I'm going to tweet that out so you can see that I just did. And then here's a direct link uh, about the long game that the Brookings Institute did a piece about where it says Asia's, Asia's position uh, at the center of U.S.-China geopolitical competition and ongoing tensions in hotspots such as Taiwan Strait, Korean Peninsula, South and East China Seas continues to pose daunting challenges in the region. And essentially, for those who don't know, China is claiming the entire South China Sea as its own. And Vietnam very strongly opposes that. Philippines very strongly opposes that. And, and then we also have Kamala Harris, the vice president of America, going to visit uh, the Philippines, I believe. And we just had somebody there recently um, to do a military alliance. And it's because the Philippines agrees that China shouldn't be trying to claim the whole South China Sea for itself, as it does. So basically... Uh, Yeah, our Secretary of Defense was just there. Thank you. That's who I was implying. And um, Yeah. yeah, so basically the... The rest of the world's uniting against China to make them back down and walk down their claim of the South China Sea because the whole region of Southeast Asia is like, uh, no, we we don't we're not going with this, and so we all need to uh, approach and have a what is it called when you have a drug addict to uh, an intervention? We're gonna have an intervention with Uncle G and his claims of the South China Sea. So. Um, that's what it appears to be happening. Anyway, um, let's hope it all works out peacefully. The The next headline is, can artificial intelligence be dangerous? The answer is yes. Uh, as Elon Musk is very fond of warning everybody, that's a kind of a silly question. Next article is, um, the Singapore aims to have more than 200,000 police cameras and... These claims overlook a couple of basic points that most people want to live in an environment which is safe and secure. Singapore to double police cameras to more than 200,000 uh, over the next decade, gives the headline. And the question is, will they have facial recognition? And the next one is... A sim- most likely there will be. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, the next one is the top surveillance cities worldwide which allows us yet another opportunity to play our very fun new favorite show called Jeopardy Tech News. What are the top surveillance cities worldwide as determined by this the density of CCTV cameras per square kilometer or per 1,000 people? London. China? London. London. China. New York. New York. London's <laughs> number four, New York, is not in the top ten. China. China. Houston. And very soon, Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually even say, uh, you know, Shanghai. Shanghai is not in the top ten. Okay. Beijing. Beijing. Taiwan. Beijing is number ten. Wow. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, no. Toad sucked Arkansas. <laughs> no. So, number one is Chennai, India. Whoa! What? I don't believe Chennai, this. India. 657 cameras per square kilometer, 25.5 per thousand people. 
Is that facial recognition? Hyder yeah, Num well. Number two is Hyderabad, India. Again, India. 480 per square kilometer, 30 per thousand people. Number three is Harbin, China. Number four is London. Number five is Xiamen, China. Number six is Chengdu, China. Number seven is Taiwan, China. Number eight is Delhi, India. Number nine is Kuming, China. Number 10 is Beijing, China. Okay, China and India. Congrats. Yeah, and, and actually, now that you mention it, India makes sense because uh, every traffic light now has a camera to catch people uh, who go through red lights because that's very common here. Uh, so every traffic light has a camera positioned. So I just tweeted it out so you can see who won the the surveillance Olympic gold medal. India coming in the gold and silver, China taking bronze. And Singapore is going to... Finally, a gold. Yeah. Yes, finally, finally a gold you gold. get the gold you were looking for. How to... BBC has an article from Evan. How to fake network pushes... How a... Oh, sorry. How a fake network pushes pro-Chinese propaganda. A web of 350 fake social media profiles aims to discredit the West, sometimes with garish cartoons. And... Pushing, attempting to discredit those seen as opponents of China's government, according to a new study. I think I just tweeted this out. I did. So it's from the BBC, and it says, The aim is to delegitimize the West and boost China's influence and image overseas. The report by the Center for Information Resilience suggests the study shared with the BBC found that the network of fake profiles circulating garish cartoons depicting, among others, exiled Chinese tycoon Guo Wenggui, or Wenggui, Guo Wengui, an outspoken critic of China, billionaire guy who's best friends with uh, Steve Bannon, uh, of all things. And other controversial figures featured the cartoons, including whistleblower scientist Li Mengyan and Steve Bannon, former political strategist of Donald Trump, who's a very vocal hater of China. Each of these individuals has themselves been accused of spreading disinformation, including false information about COVID-19. Some of the accounts spread across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube use fake AI-generated profile pictures, while others appear to have been hijacked after previously posting in their languages. There is no concrete evidence that the network is linked to the Chinese government, but according to the CIR, a nonprofit group which works to counter disinformation, it resembles pro-China networks previously taken down by Twitter and Facebook. These networks... Amplified pro-China narratives similar to those promoted by Chinese state representatives and state media. Much of the content shared by the network focuses on the U.S. and in particular on divisive issues like gun laws and race politics. One of the narratives pushed by the network paints the U.S. as having a poor human rights record. Posts on the fake account cite the murder of George Floyd among examples as well as discrimination against Asians. Some accounts repeatedly deny human rights abuses in Xinjiang region where experts say China has detained at least a million Muslims against their will, calling the allegations lies fabricated by the U.S. and the West. So how was the network uncovered? The CIR mapped the hashtags favored by previously identified networks, unearthing more accounts that showed signs of being part of the influence operation. Telltale signs, including high level of activity, pushing propaganda narratives and repeated use of the same hashtags. Newly created accounts, accounts with usernames that appeared to be randomly generated and accounts with very few followers also raised flags. Some profiles were created to post original content, while others only shared, liked and commented on the original posts to help them reach a wider audience. This kind of activity is often referred to as astroturfing because it is designed to create the appearance of grassroots campaigns. And then they show the fake photos that were 
AI generated of these accounts, and then they show the accounts, and then there's an analysis by someone named Carrie Allen, BBC Monitoring China Media Analysis, where she says over the past decade, billions of dollars have gone into funding the growth of China's presence on international platforms, but with Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube blocking in the mainland only and only accessible via VPN, the country has struggled to get such platforms recognized as viable competitors to Western juggernauts. It is needed not only Chinese voices, but foreign voices to show that the country has arrived. Anyway, long article, tweet it out. Next article. Is, is, is it kind of funny that like the tell is that anytime you bring up Xinjiang, they just lose their shit? <laughs> We've never... It's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to argue with you about abortion and stir the pot. And then someone's like, yeah, what about China and that whole uh, Xinjiang thing? It's like, oh, you know, fuck you. you know? <laughs> We've seen that a few times in this room. So can technology read your emotions? Is the headline from ConsumerReports.org. Data scientists are developing artificial intelligence technologies to read your emotions. Companies want to know how you feel, but consumer, um, it, it could help companies sense your moods to make cars smarter, ads more targeted, and customer service more empathetic, or it may not work at all, is the headline. Earlier this year, Spotify received a U.S. patent for technology to read the emotions of people based on speech recognition and background sounds. That approval followed findings by Spotify researchers that the company could determine listeners' personality traits based on the music they enjoy. The possibility that the leading music service might target advertisers or recommend songs linked to a customer's sentiments in real time itself prompted some strong emotions. More than 100 musicians, including Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello and groups such as Amnesty International, signed an open protest to Spotify CEO Daniel Ek. This recommendation, recommendation technology is dangerous, a violation of privacy and other human rights, and should not be implemented by Spotify or, other, or any other company, the petition reads. Monitoring emotional state and making recommendations based on it puts the entity that deploys the tech in a dangerous position of power in relation to a user. Spotify publicly retreated, telling one of the protest groups that it had no plans to use the speech recognition technology, yet the disagreement highlighted the uneasiness many feel about companies using artificial intelligence to try and measure emotions. In recent years, companies like Spotify have become ever more sophisticated in developing profiles about us. Netflix sees that you tend to watch romantic comedies. Zappos keeps track of your love of expensive designer sneakers and Facebook knows a lot about us because we indicate our likes and dislikes on its platform. But now data scientists in large companies and startups are using AI, intel AI technology to try and figure out ways to understand your emotions and state of mind in real time. Unless you pour out your heart over the phone or stand in front of a salesperson broadly grinning, business generally don't know how you feel at the moment, at the very moment you're considering or not considering buying something until now. A wide array of companies want to know whether you feel joy, sorrow, fear, anger, surprise, gratitude, hate, or other sentiments. Facebook, Google, IBM, Panasonic, Sony, Honda, Samsung, Nielsen, and Xerox are among those who have filed related patent applications. At its best, this type of technology could improve or save our lives, for example, by detecting that someone is too distracted or upset to drive a car safely. Emotion sensing might detect severe depression and risk of suicide and help people with autism understand social cues better. At worst, technology that reads our emotions as we experience them, could create a dystopian world in which companies intrude into our innermost feelings and bombard us at every turn with advertising, individualized, pri individualized pricing, clamoring for our attention. Imagine you go to a supermarket and it's just like price tags are digital and they depend on who you are, says 
Caitlin Voss, a Stanford University PhD candidate in artificial intelligence, who, as I wrote in 2014, co-founded a company in his teens to measure emotions through facial tracking. That's not the world we want to live in. And um, Tyler, it, it doesn't mention Doctor Francine and uh, David Chang is in the audience. You want to bring them up, just in case. Okay, thank you. One thing the article doesn't mention is call centers, which are really using it today. If you have angry customers or, you, you, you know, it, there's a lot of work done there today with live voice. But uh, it's um, definitely come. Are you referring to the to clever trick of uh, saying fuck, fuck, fuck five times in a row to get these senior advisors well, to come that, on the call? But yeah. just, you know, they listen to you and the agent. They record it. But now they're doing sentiment analysis. They can tell if you're all heated up mm -hmm. or upset and they'll escalate it to a supervisor. Yeah. And you just, you just think about all the data that's being collected, right? That, so in terms of Zoom buying that call center company, that was part of that strategy too, right? To continually mine that data. There's a couple of Israeli companies that are doing this uh, in healthcare right now. So when you're doing a telehealth appointment with your doctor, your doctor could know what your emotional state is. And there's actually one really uh, interesting company that's coming out of Stealth talking about that. But what's, what's interesting is if you have an Apple watch that's giving you the biometric data so you can get heart rate and other information, you have a video screen that can give you an idea of facial expressions, and then you have tone of voice. That is a lot of information that, of course, as humans, we get those emotional cues pretty quickly. But what's interesting is now to quantify that and put that into metadata and then combine that with your user behavior data and what your actual purchase data is, what movies you're watching, and all of them selling that on the back end to people in an identifiable and re-identifiable way. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to see this. This is not... Yeah, this is not the first time or the last time we're going to talk about this, obviously. No, we've been talking about this. But per, the person writing exactly. this, this blog post sounds like uh, somebody from the audience who's been following tech news <laughs> for the past three months. Yeah, this, we talk about this all the time. And it's a nice little simple summary of everything we talk about. And in fact, we've even talked about this Spotify technology and others that they don't even seem to know about. For example, when you walk into a business like Starbucks, and you notice, oh, wow, uh, they're playing one of my favorite songs that no business is that. It's quite an obscure song. I'm quite surprised they're playing it. But you're the only person in the cafe. And the ability to, if everyone has Spotify on their phones and they're all in a Starbucks, and then Starbucks can auto-generate dynamically the best possible song based on the individuals in that store at that time, which has been proven to improve purchases. Hey, yeah, and oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that um, this is public information, but, you know, Google was with the Google Glass. A lot of the data that they had done was looking at your pupillary dilation and they were able to use many different biometrics associated with that. And they had t people test where they sat in front of a TV or in front of a screen and they were showing them different ads. And so there's just so much information that at least on the health healthcare and the biometric side that, of course, is going to start on the healthcare side with mental health and all these other things. But over time, we're going to see it getting more and more and more to the the other side of the coin, where it can be used to generate, you know, larger profits and and for for good or for bad. Miss David, I want to. We were just talking. I don't know if you were in the audience at the time, but something quite concerning is happening, which is the U.S., the U.K., India, Germany, Indonesia and australia 
and perhaps I'm forgetting one, are all sending their navies. Japan. Japan are sending their navies to the South China Sea simultaneously. And if they might use that opportunity to recognize Taiwan while surrounding Taiwan, what do you imagine might be the response from Beijing? I think it's a big game of brinksmanship between China and its allies against um, against the West plus Japan in, in, in essence, right? Um, <laughs> don't you feel like this something like this has happened once before during the Cold War? I mean, I I I almost feel like it's and then I, I excuse my I guess more um, blood language. I almost feel like it's a Thucydides trap set by by Washington mm-hmm. for Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind right at, at this current point mm-hmm. in history, the Chinese military is not uh, perhaps uh, near par with the U.S. military. Right? I mean, that's that's sort of the facts. But then again, you know, I've had a, I've had several discussions with friends of mine in the Chinese military about this. They actually have a very interesting point of view, which is they believe. Again, this is not my necessarily my view, yeah. but this is what they said. Yeah, to me. yeah, you're clear. Um, they believe the U.S. military has not had a decisive victory since the Korean War, right? From the Korean War to the Vietnam War to the war in Afghanistan yep. and Iraq. Yep. Um, I don't think, I mean, and, and, I, and I understand this perspective. Yeah. You can't really say the U.S. had any decisive victory in any of those uh, engagements. Yeah, well, yeah, World War II wasn't very, <laughs> I mean, only in that Germany lost, but boy, was that, uh, you wouldn't necessarily call it a win, but yeah. Well, yeah, I think and, if and, you well, zo- I well, think the if first you zoom Gulf out, War was a win. The first Gulf yeah, War yeah. was a win. I think if you zoom out, you don't. Uh, we don't want a winner. We want to supply the war indefinitely. We want to. We want to promote the dollar hegemon. This is what it's all about. When we turned our backs on Taiwan with Bretton Wood, it was about our fake money and the dollar hegemon. No one was going to take our fake money if everyone else was taking gold and silver. So we had to take our fake money and put it somewhere. Well, also, if we're a country which sells a lot of military hardware around the world, we want unstable. We we kind of profit from instability in parts of the world like the Middle East, which I mean, we could end a war in a day with a tactical nuke or with a Moab. But we choose not to because we're seeking to to lengthen the war so we can supply both sides to further promote the dollar hegemon. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Anyway, so I guess part of what um, they see as a, uh, as a as a strength of the Chinese and perhaps a weakness of the U.S. allies is it's obviously very clear that the Chinese military would be defending home and country, whereas the Western counterpart uh, doesn't necessarily have such a strong um, uh, strong core value or strong uh, sort of core um, 
that they're that they're that they're clearly defending or fighting for, right? And that, and perhaps this is um, the, the 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 senior military commanders drinking their own Kool Aid. They feel like ultimately they will persevere because um, that there's a much clearer goal in mind, whereas um, that same determination might not exist in the West. And then just sort of, I guess, um, in, in uh, amongst the the U.S. allied forces, if you will. Um, there are also sort of self-interest in different calculations, right? Um, I think uh, China's one of China's biggest um, sort of suspicions has always been on Japan, and they believe that the Japanese are uh, sort of totally using this opportunity to amend their constitution and uh, militarize. Uh, yeah. Exactly, exactly, change their military from a purely self-defense force to. Um, to something more comparable with the rest of the world. And then, obviously, in the case of Taiwan as well, right? I think even to this day, um, the, the opinion of whether or not to be closer to China and to the, or to the U.S. is still highly polarizing within the Taiwanese constituents. Um, and a lot of that has to do with competing um, factions and uh, vested interest groups, Um who don't necessarily have the people's best interest at heart. Okay. And then obviously the same could be said about Southeast Asia. Yeah. Thank you for that. So the other news, uh, any news that you found interesting in China, we saw one headline today about how sports uh, companies are booming on the stock market as they, they imagine that the crackdown on video games is going to lead people to playing more sports. Well, Tyler, I tweeted, um, to the TNATW account, okay. something which I've been sort of keeping an eye on for the past couple of days. Uh-huh. So. Um, <clears throat> so we're nearing the 90-day uh, COVID origin deadline set forth by Biden. Um, and I think uh, there's certainly more and more movements within China in response to that, right? So the article I tweeted was from the South China Morning Post. Uh-huh which is China Titans lab animal rules amid calls for coronavirus lab leak probe. Um, so I don't know if this is indicative of anything to come, but certainly worth a read. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try and find that. What's your Twitter account, by the way? The, the, uh, DHY chain. So the same as my, um, same as my, uh, clubhouse account. D Chang. D-H-Y D-H-Y Chang. Okay, got it. So I, now I'm going to see your tweet here. China Titans lab animal rules amid calls for COVID-19 laboratory leak probe. That one? Yes. Yes, got it. Okay, so let's check this out. So uh, as you said, South China Morning Post. Uh, China Titans lab animal rules amid calls for coronavirus lab leak probe. Science Ministry releases draft update on safety, body disposal, and environmental controls in experimental facilities. Proposed regulations too vague to guarantee improvement, biosafety expert says. China is updating its lab animal testing laws as it tightens up on animal use in the aftermath of the coronavirus pandemic and allegations that the pathogen leaked from laboratory. The draft changes to the regulation on the administration of laboratory animals include 
expanded rules on safety and infectious disease control in labs, as well as specifications on genetic modifications. The draft, released by the Ministry of Science and Technology on Tuesday for public consultation until the end of the month, signals China is catching up on animal use and welfare, according to an an Australian-based team, I guess. The the article finishes there. But... um, I guess the yeah I guess there's there is a lot of talk about doing another investigation because the WH the the boss of the WHO is saying we should do it and Australia Australia came out strong saying we should do it Biden saying we should do it and maybe that's what all the the navy's going to the region is about <laughs> uh, we are here to investigate uh whether you like it or not so interesting um but then how is delta I, last I heard Delta is now in nine different provinces, like a couple hundred cases seems to be, but they're, they're uh, testing every single person, like 11 million people in Wuhan now. Um, what, well, I guess the more concerning news that came out yesterday was that? the Chinese deputy premier came out and said this. Um, let me try to find the article for you. Um, so the, there, there are four deputy premiers. Right? So the deputy premier of Sun Tunlan, she came out and said that the original uh, sort of state uh, announcement of how the, we've kept Delta under control might be too positive um, than reality. Um, okay, let me just read you the exact article. Yeah. Um, Chinese officials ordered to set up uh, COVID-19 efforts as Vice Premier warns of uncertain situation caused by Delta variant. Sun Tunlang warns situation remains fluid and hints that situation may not be as controllable as she had previously said. Last outbreak, which began in Nanjing last month, has spread to 17 provinces with more than 400 confirmed cases. Yeah, she's right about that. And I can say that because uh, here in Thailand, we had no problem with uh, the first alpha at all. And and we essentially had no COVID, tiny little attempts that we managed very well until a couple months ago. And then Delta came in and is just absolutely kicking our ass, as I've said in this room before. And everybody and it is needs to be incredibly aware of just how tremendously different Delta is from the first traditional COVID. And... Um, and she's right. This this is different than the first time. China did very well, uh, re, as best we can tell, uh, with original COVID. And this is a whole different game. Whole, it, do, even using masks, even using gel religiously, even following all of the guidance that any, you know, CDC, WHO, take your pick, all, whatever the experts tell you, you can do all of that. And still struggle tremendously with Delta because it's it's that infectious. So um, almost like it's a totally different virus. Almost, almost. I mean, on the on the med tech side, we're talking about maybe it should be called a new virus because it's so different. It's far more contagious, and it, it's well now the W. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say it's contagious in a way that. Even, I mean, the ties are, as Lakeisha will tell you, the ties are acting properly. I mean, in terms of what you would want your society to do in the face of a pandemic, like 
not not doing things that you shouldn't do, masking all the time, alcohol in your hands all the time, temperature checking a hundred times a day. Uh, we're doing all that, social distancing, all of it, all of it, all of it. There's nothing you can recommend that we're not doing. And yet we're, we are still going to just get hit hard with Delta. So it's a matter of if you're vaccinated or not. Had Thailand been vaccinated, piece of cake, done, easy peasy. We're, we're good. All good, y'all. But uh, if you, you can do all the right things, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to get it. Japan cases exploded to uh, 14,000, more than 14,000 cases across Japan today. Uh, and uh, Tokyo has more than 5,000. So, yeah. I, and you know, goddamn well, they're, you know, they're wearing their masks. <laughs> and, well, the and the Secretary General of the UN uh, just called for a booster moratorium. Um, he said that uh, uh, no, no booster shot. There shouldn't be any booster shots until ten percent of the population of every country around the world is vaccinated. Um, so right now, eighty percent of those of the vaccines have gone to upper, middle, and income ter uh, countries, making up less than half of the global population. He estimated the ten percent goal could be reached by the end of September. Um, but uh, he wants no more vaccines. Um, uh, and then the COVAX program, which is in partnership with the World Health Organization, um, is not doing well in delivering their vaccines. So September seems optimistic. Uh, Tyler Ranjit here. In uh, Sweden, I think it was yesterday or day before, the health department issued a notice that we will be coming up with booster uh sometime next year but for the priority people they're gonna give start giving booster from october november like uh, uh people over 80 or whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah. israel started with people over 60 already hey tyler hasn't yeah. japan's record in terms of vaccinations being bad in the sense that people were reluctant at least initially i wonder what the current situation is cheryl just told yeah, us i think yeah, that you may, you're talking about vaccine, Mohan. Yeah, I'm talking about vaccines, not yeah. uh, masking and all that. Yeah, the, the I I think the rollout has been quite screwed up. Um, the distribution is not so smooth. Uh, some places in the uh in at the workplace they actually threw away some, whereas uh those uh at the other vaccination centers uh you know they can't take uh uh so called more bookings because it's over over book. Uh, even I myself, uh, I tried to call a few times. I couldn't get a slot near my house, so I had to try harder. But it is fine because I'm not planning to travel yet. So I think they are starting to see, you know, a need to want to do it. Uh, but the rule still, you know, uh, have a lot of room for improvement. Only one solution, which is to genetically sequence the population and then allocate <laughs> the vaccines accordingly. I mean, no, but I thought it wasn't just the reduced availability at the beginning but also people's reluctance to get vaccinated i i heard both reasons being given at oh, the yeah, beginning I mean, look, there are a lot of us who are choosing not to get vaccinated because we know our own genetics and we know we have a higher likelihood of having clotting issues than we do of dying of delta or lambda or whatever the, the latest variant is and you know i there are a lot of people who i mean I went to a discussion on mRNA vaccines at DARPA in 2014 and pretty much everything predicted. I have my notes still from that meeting and pretty much everything predicted there about how 
initially the mRNA vaccine would boost, uh, would basically boost the immune system and then wear off is everything we're seeing today. And of course, you know, there's a large pharmaceutical industry in the United States and elsewhere that wants to make this all vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. But, you know, there are people who have, you know, venous thromboembolism, high, you know, you know uh, high likelihood of getting strokes uh, from, from their own genetics. And of course, this idea of a one size fits all thing is totally inconsistent with any of the science or research. So this idea of mandatory vaccines for the whole population is, um, you know, it's it's a very blunt instrument to, to try to achieve what is, you know, there's, there's 7 billion of us. We, we, we vary tremendously genetically from one another. And so people people are going to have to figure it out the hard way, I suppose. Okay, uh, Mohan, just to answer your question in numbers, uh, the fully vaccinated rate in Japan is about 32% now. Uh, those with the first shot, uh, 45% in, together with those with double shot, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome. Headline. And, and of course, all of this is leading to the, the, the worst possible scenario, which is the bacon shortage in California. <laughs> it actually does all connect. The, um, they're using this period of, uh, <clears throat> of revising how, um, how, the, how uh, the manufacturing or the, the processing of meat is done. And so they've done beef, chicken, um, uh, and eggs and pork and um, beef, chicken, um, and eggs, right, can all comply with those, um, those, new, those changes along with they've added in um, ethical treatment issues, which I don't know if you've covered this at all, but they've, all, they've, they've, uh, they've brought in some additional changes that are not just based strictly on um, protection from the virus, but also trying to improve, um, you know, the, the, the circumstance of these animals. Um, they can't do it in the pork industry. So apparently starting in January, there's going to be a 60% increase in price in bacon and, and the, the price reductions. So stock up, man, I guess, if you're bacon. That's people. it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, Johan, and uh, Jeremiah is in the room if you want to bring him up. Okay. Yes. Uh, there's Johan. And where's Jeremiah? Oh, I saw Jeremiah earlier. I invited him earlier. So thank you. Welcome back, Johan. There's an article from CNN uh, from 10 hours ago that says, if we don't all get vaccinated, the next COVID variant, variant is just around the corner. Uh, more getting more Americans vaccinated, growing more urgent as an expert warns that if vaccination rates don't increase, a dangerous Delta variant could continue to evolve. Next variant's just around the corner if we don't all get vaccinated, according to CNN. And there was another COVID-related headline I saw a minute ago, which is right here from CBS News. Florida COVID hospitalizations break pandemic record. More than 12,000 patients are hospitalized in Florida with the coronavirus setting a pandemic record. Many of them are unvaccinated. And then um, that's it for my COVID headlines. Uh, but we have all kinds of, I have about 40 uh, open here to go. One that Tesla's $25,000 electric car tempered your expectations about timing. Some rumors are coming out this week about Tesla's upcoming $25,000 electric car, which they're currently calling the Model 2. But uh, they say it's better to temper expectations about timing. And they're betting heavily that it's going to be a hatchback, which is what uh, Europe uh, is by far the most selling kind of cars in Europe and where Tesla seems to do quite well anyways. And it's a $25,000 car that would compete very directly with 
even non EVs on price point and form and everything else. And uh, there's some interesting models in the article that I just tweeted out. And they say rumors are coming out this week about the $25,000 Tesla at Tesla battery day last year. Uh, Elon Musk announced Tesla will, will be making a $25,000 electric car. And that is also fully autonomous. He made it clear that this new price point is achieved through Tesla's new battery cell and battery manufacturing effort, which would reduce battery costs by over 50%. And the car has been linked to a new electric hatchback that Tesla has been planning to produce at the Gigafactory Shanghai in China and export globally. Last year, Tesla announced plans to establish a new R&D center in China to build a Chinese-style electric car. The Tesla stated taking design submissions for its Chinese-made small electric car last summer and started hiring for the program shortly afterward. And now you can see some of those designs in the article I just tweeted out. There it is. And related story, um, the Nissan Leaf now, uh, the new one's going to cost $27,000 in the United States. Only has like 150 miles of range. If I think for 30,000, you can get the 230 mile range. Obviously, it's not a Tesla, but it's um, but it's uh, cheap, and prices are going to keep dropping on EVs over this decade. Pretty cool. The Stockholm-based Checkin.com acquires Estonian identity verification startup, and I will reach out to them and see if they can give a jump in and give us a look as to Estonia again. Yep. And there was another Estonia headline just a few hours ago. Tallinn-based Montonio raises $2.5 million to become Europe's something or other. Estonian startup Montonio, a new one-stop shop for online businesses looking to take their e-commerce sales to the next level. So they're raising money. And next up, we've got from Politico, top house Democrats to Biden. They say close Guantanamo once and for all. Guantanamo-based Cuba, but what to do with the prisoners on Guantanamo? And Will never happen. Yeah. File that away. iOS 15 may give iPhone's camera an upgrade, fewer green flares, and all kinds of interesting updates with iOS 15, which you'll be downloading in about two weeks, two to three weeks, including uh, better photos, you, which is purely a, a software update, but improves your photos. It's, uh, and you can now see how the photos will look different before and after by a little slider in the article I just tweeted on Twitter at the TNATW Twitter account. And they're comparing photos with iOS 15 versus iOS 14.5, which is what you likely have today. And you can see those differences, but there's all kinds of other bells and whistles in iOS 15, which I just tweeted out right now, which include um, redesigned notifications, focus for reduced distractions, spatial audio in uh, FaceTime calls, text recognition in messages, in images, and also phone numbers and images are clickable to be callable. So when you take a photo of a business card, now that photo, the email is clickable to open an email. The phone number is clickable to, so that I love that alone. That's kind of genius. And then ID cards in your wallet app. Yep. Your ID, your digital ID, your state driver's license in your wallet app and added privacy features, Safari maps, weather and notes app redesigns and much, much more. And you can 
see the whole new redesign in the uh, in the article I just twatted on Twitter. And did did you take? I'm sorry. Did you say that there were fewer green flares yes. at the very beginning? Yeah. So what does that mean? Solar flares. When you have a photo with the sun in it, sometimes you'll get this weird little effect. Uh, you know, these the solar flares. So they'll be algorithmically removed for your convenience. And 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 the next article is actually a short little video about an event in New York City called an immersive Van Gogh. In New York City, visitors get to experience the art of Vincent Van Gogh like never before with an augmented reality experience that brings five different paintings to life. And to which I say, actually, I did experience this in Paris at the um, Brothers Luminier uh, Gallery, where they turned the entire art gallery into a, uh, an AR living experience. It's truly mind blowing. And um, but now they're bringing it to new, a different companies, bringing it to New York. And if you're in New York, I highly recommend it. Yes, the, as somebody mentioned a moment ago, the WHO is calling for a moratorium on booster shots of coronavirus vaccines until at least September as poorest countries struggle to get access to the shots, even for high-risk populations such as healthcare workers and the elderly. Because y'all being selfish, you privileged vaccine, you're, you're vaccine privileged with all of your vaccines, taking your third shot while no one else has had their first. Africa has not had their first shot yet. Southeast Asia, a lot have not had their shot, and they want it. You'd be very hard-pressed to find anybody in Southeast Asia who wouldn't kill their cat to get vaccinated. So it's... Uh, Why do they kill their cat? Well, they can't do anything. They'll do what they got to do, Cheryl. You know, you know. And then I think over the weekend, we heard that we dumped out, we're dumping out doses like crazy across the U.S. So it's just it's tragic. I read someone say that uh, someone someone wrote a like a, a, a Twitter thing that said that um, to get people to vaccinate in the U.S., you should just say, um, you know, th- like for people who don't say thanks for donating this to, you know, some, you know, a poor nation's population <laughs> so that they can get protected and move here. <laughs> that will make them all take. They can take as many of my shots available to me as possible. I will send them directly. <laughs> Elon Musk says Walter Isaacson is writing his new biography. Previously wrote the biography for Steve Jobs. And so we'll have to wait for that one. U.S.-led digital trade proposal heats up new friction with China. Uh, Biden's initiative risks dividing Asia into coalitions of the willing and unwilling. And what is this new U.S.-led digital trade proposal? Well, this is coming from Nikkei Asia, and it says Washington's digital trade proposal eyes rules for cross-border data flows, privacy protection, and artificial intelligence. The initiative includes many Asian Pacific countries, but excludes China. The, the U.S. initiative for digital trade agreement to deepen ties with Asian economies faces an uncertain outcome as some countries in the region fear provoking a confrontation with China, which sees the deal as an attempt to encircle it. It is an attempt to encircle it. I was about to say, they're correct about that. Tyler, yeah. did you did you poke Johan yet? Because he couldn't come on. Okay, never mind. Uh, Johan, maybe you can have to leave the room and come. No, back no, I can, yeah, I already did click the accept, so he you have to go out and come back in. So there he goes. Thank you. Uh, hey, he's up. Yes. How's your finger? There you are. You're stuffing my mouth. 
One of the things that uh, you mentioned Sweden and the COVID, one thing that changed uh, this week was that our uh, Folkhälsomyndigheten, which is our uh, authority regarding the COVID uh, in Sweden, have now, this week, they say it is transmittable by air. So this with uh, have it, having masks on might come up on the agenda because they actually have turned the tables all around. You are done. Okay, so um, let's get into some of these headlines here. Dr. Francine Hardaway sent in this one that the end of venture capital as we know it is the headline. All signs seem to indicate that by 2022, for the first time, non-traditional tech investors, including hedge funds, mutual funds, and the like, will invest more in private tech companies than traditional Silicon Valley-style venture capitalists will. Many people are quick to write this off as a monetary blip where extremely cheap money and the global search for returns are awakening, pushing into pushing all investors towards private innovation markets. However, that read misses the main point. Um, but you got to subscribe to read the whole story, but I'll tweet it out. And the point is interest rates are really low and people are searching for places to put their money in tech seems like as good a place as any as uh, every fintech seems to be having uh, quite a good run of things any buy now pay later company seems to do well ed tech seems foolproof tech startups didn't used to be this way you normally used to have a huge percent of a startups not succeeding if you're doing ed tech at this point if you're doing buy now pay later at this point and some other fintechs you got a pretty darn good shot like you're gonna have to actually screw up for it to not work out no it didn't used to be that way so um you know it depends on what you're working on but there's there's huge can I, obvious can I ask a question on this. Go Tyler? ahead, Chris. Do you think a lot of this is related to um, consolidation? So so you know, as an investor, I'm thinking, well, if there's already an industry player, am I betting on a loser? But when you zoom out, you might actually be betting on somebody that has a technology layer that might get bought by the winner. Do you think a lot of that comes into play in this at this stage in the game? Or I know what it's just that the private equity companies um are it's it's a bit of a struggle where to put the money at the moment and tech is looking really good right now as an as kind of an asset class for lack of a better word or or a or a vertical so it's they're going direct where they used to um wait um till much later stages and, and now they're everyone's getting earlier and earlier and earlier in the stages you're even seeing traditional vcs getting in on, you know, where the angels used to get in. And it's pushing everyone earlier and earlier in the process, basically. And so, private, you know, like, it used to be angels. It used to be friends and family was, was your first round, and then angels, and then, you know, early stage VCs who specialize in A rounds, and then t- traditional VCs for your B, C, and D rounds. And then later, later, you know, uh, you IPO, whatever you private equity comes into play later down the road, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that whole, all of that is shifting earlier in the process. So you even have VCs doing, you know, what traditionally were angel investments by an individual. And you have VC firms doing what used to be exclusively angel rounds. And then you've got, it's all pushing earlier and earlier. So that means even the PE, which is later, is moving into VC. And they're directly investing into, you know, B rounds and C rounds and D rounds. And but still only, only, only 5% of companies are funded by VCs. 
So this is not still like our mainstream financing method. Right. Well, it's, you know, yeah, where v- most companies don't. Get Fair that. enough. VCs are only interested in companies built on software that can grow exponentially, basically. So, for example, we there was a headline yesterday about why are there such a lack of cybersecurity experts in the government and, and even in the private sector? And the reason is because they can write code and that code can be turned into apps that can be sold to thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of companies. And that's scalable. So that individual and that little team of cybersecurity experts made a product, a digital product written out of code. And that that can be you built into a website and people can pay $30 a month and that's software as a service. And now you've got a billion dollar company for just five guys. That's what's happening. So that's the type of startups that investors want to invest in is how can you have um, wildly scalable, you know, a five person team selling to a hundred thousand clients. They're not really interested in traditional businesses like supermarkets where you're selling to, you know, a thousand people in your own geography and you're kind of limited and all that they or you know traditional businesses don't fit into what what we call a startup what we define a startup is as Stephen blink kind of coined it as a super scalable company that can you know sell their product internationally from you know their little office in palo alto so it's um and mainly stairs and uh, marketplaces yeah well marketplaces is one type of startup so the ready for eco? Yeah, go ahead. For quick ones. Uh, two uh, seemingly very different, but obviously related. Uh, one kind of mind blowing one is the report that Exxon Mobil is considering making a net zero by 2050 pledge, which <laughs> sounds like it came from the onion or something, but supposedly that is correct. The other one, which is um, really kind of scary, especially if you live in Europe, is that there's a report uh, both in The Guardian and also the original research paper that shows that the um, Gulf Stream uh, is showing signs of instability because it's not something that might just turn down lower as, you know, temperatures change. It might actually just collapse. And and, uh, did that, of course, the mild weather of Europe would just... uh, be gone quite quickly and it would also screw up monsoons in india and everything around the world so that's something to really worry about and you can tell that there's an increasing number of these stories about scientists concerned about the gulf stream so something that uh, we should be paying attention to yeah the swedes also there's another story about the extreme melt in greenland last week yeah uh, that also has long-term implications thanks thanks dan so the swedes are very watch the gulf stream one with uh uh understandable concern because the issue is that um this major current in the atlantic which basically keeps sweden warm in the winters if it stops it will just essentially become uninhabitably cold and if so this this headline that uh the gulf stream um stops that's going to be a big problem and you might have climate migration for due to you know uh, an ice age in Scandinavia, so to speak. Johan, you can, or any any other Scandinavians on stage want to comment on on this issue, Johan, of the Gulf Stream, if it if it is collapsing, as the Guardian is reporting that it may be. 
but but not just not just Scandinavia, though. UK, you know, France. Yeah. I mean, all the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole area gets cold, but it's like the Scandinavia that becomes uninhabitable. The rest of it becomes incredibly cold. But um, yeah, just look over in the northern Canada where where those cities are located. You know, if they were in northern Canada, you would get an idea of what the climate might be like if the Gulf Stream collapses. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, people don't realize like Stockholm is actually very livable even in the winter and uh where it doesn't really get below zero often so the uh, if the gulf stream stops then like you said it becomes more like northern canada where you get you know minus 50 and that becomes a real uh pain in the ass it might even kind of ruin a lot of the infrastructure agriculture it's based you know on certain conditions yeah. and things like that yeah it, it would uh Obviously, be not pleasant, which is one of the reasons we really should start taking action now to reduce greenhouse gases, which we're just still talking about doing. And, yeah. and we'll find out, I guess, in October uh, when they start the next COP conference about how serious. What are we up to? Is. COP twenty six. So far, signs are not good on that. COP twenty six. Yeah, where is it at this time? Oh, uh, Glasgow. I think it starts October thirty first, if I'm remembering correctly. Shouldn't they have this in like green on a melting Greenland uh, glacier <laughs> yeah. in the summer? Uh, so yep, I think that might or, that might yeah. help fix that. That would you might get better outcomes that way. We're certainly uh, in the lead up to it. Of course, we are getting. I mean, it's almost like an advertising campaign for it with all the fires and you know the, 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 the all over the world and the floods. I mean, it's it's something like they're they're getting a, a view of the future here, all compressed into in time here for the people going to COP twenty six. But even with that, it's just. The status quo is very, very powerful, and uh, yeah. we have to figure out how to shift people off of that. Yep. So, next headline is that Starlink moves closer to matching or even beating fixed broadband speeds. And we had the headline a bit ago that they're up to 100,000 subscribers, growing 30%. It works. It works really, really well. 30%. Highly recommend. 30% per month growth on subscribers at 100,000. So, that means they'll be up to 130,000 next month and uh, 170,000 the month after that. And uh, yeah, they're growing like a weed. And according to Ookla, the median download speeds for Starlink are exceeding those of fixed broadband in countries like Canada, France, Germany, and others. And... Um, John Francois, are you op- uh, starting the AI room in five minutes? Uh, we'll open it when uh, okay. when, well, when we're finished here. Okay. okay, let me let me plow through these. And senators introduced bill to help agencies counter deep fakes and deceptive media. This proposal would create a Department of Homeland Security led task force to pinpoint technologies useful to trace content back to inception. Yeah, we're probably going to need something like that. And. Uh, we covered the Gulf Stream. Uh, VR puts nail in the coffin for cadavers. And you can see what I mean. by. And this is from Evan. And this is, this is a beautiful one. And it shows somebody wearing a VR headset using a pen as if it's a scalpel in a VR world where they're opening, uh, doing a spinal surgery on somebody in VR without needing to do it on a cadaver because medical schools need to use cadavers to teach students and now vr could replace all of that hence the very clever pun vr puts the nail in the coffin for cadavers very clever yeah but how do they replicate the touch like i know a lot of it seems to go with pressure and haptic feedback gloves is the answer to that question 
Okay, cool. I mean, to, to the there they exist, and Nicholas, uh, who I don't see on stage, is usually on stage. Uh, but JT, you have any comments on haptic feedback gloves for kind of the educational, vocational training use cases of VR? Not so much the gloves, but uh, the controllers do have. Uh, haptic feedback so whenever you're interacting with something you'll get a haptic response based on that interaction but i think there's 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 probably still a huge opportunity for whoever whoever does proper haptic gloves which is not incredibly complicated totally doable technologically and for all of those uh vocation training use cases that's that's going to be super useful the grease thousands flee homes as fires rage across Athens and emergency services evacuated several northern suburbs of Greece capital after a fresh fire broke out amid the heat wave. The city is engulfed in smoke and flames. And we had two guests from Turkey um, who were pleading for assistance with what's happening in Turkey as the federal government there is uh, for the, the whole issue of the fires has become wildly politicized there. So there it's kind of become a really screwed up situation where they're not allowing planes to use water on the fires or not, not they're not able to put them out for political reasons, which is truly unbelievable. Even as an American where we have struggled with politicizing every little thing, that's one thing we wouldn't uh, tolerate actually. So China, Italy too, by the way, yeah. Italy is is also on fire, and uh, yeah, the firefighting is also kind of uh, slowed down by political issues and uh, Italian mafias. Yep. Um, is China opening up the NFT markets? The headline, and David might have something to say about this, having done some pioneering stuff with NFTs in China. China's social media giant Tencent releases its own NFT trading platform. Is the headline, David? What any thought on that? While he's thinking about that, yeah, he he's not on. Stage oh, he jumped now, down. Okay, just pinning in again. Yeah, that's okay. Just... We're we're we just got a few here. Apple has now yeah. Apple now has sixty nine self driving vehicles, and ninety two drivers on the streets of California. What's this all about? It's from MSN.com. Uh, more than Tesla, it says what. Apple now has 69 self-driving vehicles, 92 drivers on the streets of California, more than Tesla. Apple now, uh, what happened? Apple has added one more self-driving car and 16 more drivers since May, according to a report that cited figures for the California Department of Motor Vehicles. Apple has the third largest fleet of autonomous test cars in California behind Google through Waymo and General Motors through Cruise. However, the number of drivers is still down significantly from October last year when Apple had 154 driver permits, the report added. In comparison, Tesla has 22 self-driving cars and 86 drivers in California as of the end of July. The report also noted that Apple has not yet applied for a driverless permit for its autonomous vehicles. The data gathered for Apple's fleet of self-driving vehicles could help the tech giant's Apple car project. The project is in incubation for a while, but rumors about Apple's accelerating its efforts on the project have been floating around since last year. Several potential partners were reported, but Apple has remained tight-lipped about its foray into the crowded EV field. Over time, rumors also suggested Apple has scaled down its plan to build a full-fledged car and is now looking at developing an underlying self-driving car system. It was reported in July that Apple's looking to manufacture batteries for the Apple car in the U.S. 
here it comes the apple car the only question is will it do vertical takeoff and landing here's a crazy article from mit directly mit.edu from the media lab and media.mit.edu that that somebody there in their lab is working on a secure and secret cooperation in robot swarms where they give these little micro robots a task and then the robots coordinate like ants to achieve the task. The importance of swarm robotics systems is both academic research and real world applications is steadily increasing. Members of the Human Dynamics Group and collaborators demonstrate the first multi-agent system able to autonomously secure its peer-to-peer -peer communication while collaborating to achieve a common goal. You can think of it as like how ants achieve common goals, but how robots could work together to achieve goals. But think of them for now as small robots. Of course, you could apply this to bigger robots. And imagine what a pack of dogs could do if they were to collaborate. That's a truly wild concept. Um, so there was a Black Mirror episode on that. It did not end well. <laughs> you can read the article and then the book uh, about Facebook called The Ugly Truth is out. And there's an excerpt that Facebook's role in the genocide in Myanmar, as revealed in the new book. Facebook has been under constant fire for the past five years, roiled in controversies and crisis. It's currently a sponsor of the Tokyo Games which makes the appearance of an ugly truth inside Facebook's battle for domination all the more apt. In this new book, award-winning New York Times reporter Shira, Shira Frinkel and Cecilia Kang offer a riveting behind-the-scenes expose that offers a definitive, the definitive account of Facebook's fall from grace. And in, 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 an exp, in, in this excerpt, the authors show how Facebook's expansion project facilitated the briefings of the genocidal campaign against Myanmar Rohingya Muslim people. And uh, in, I'm familiar with this myself living next door here in Thailand. And basically the Burmese um, basically only use Facebook uh, as a way to communicate. And so the fact that a lot of the, uh, when the, non-Muslim Burmese were, which included the military, were cracking down on the Rohingyas, which are Muslims. And there was incredible tensions between the Muslims and the, the non and the, and the Buddhist Burmese. Um, and it was even the Buddhist monks that were kind of leading the aggression against the Muslim Rohingyas. But all of this was happening through Facebook because they don't really have an alternative. And yet, so this, the authors of this book are placing some of the blame on Facebook. I can assure you if they had other tools to use, they would, and then you would be blaming those other tools. So I don't know that Facebook really deserves um, maybe a lot of the, the shade that they're getting in this context. Anywho. Uh, the next article is the, uh, the six countries most likely to survive the climate. Ooh, let's save that for last. So one quick one, autonomous cargo drone startup Elroy Air lands $40 million, another autonomous uh, cargo drone company. Those are happening all, all the time now. Fantastic. Here's the last one. And this is a chance to play our favorite game, Tech News Jeopardy. These six countries are most likely to survive a climate change caused societal collapse. If you've ever considered your zombie apocalypse survival plan, by the way, my place was originally called uh, 
apocalypse hideout. <laughs> zombie apocalypse hideout. Anyway, um, the zombie apocalypse survival plan. You've almost certainly concluded that the best place to survive the end of the world is somewhere isolated and preferably surrounded by water. As it turns out, New Zealand. as it turns out, New Zealand. science agrees with you. It's just the event threatening our survival isn't a zombie takeover. It's climate change. A new Global Sustainability Institute study published in the journal Sustainability did the work of ranking the locations best suited to survive the global societal collapse stemming from climate change-led destruction. The results, islands and other sparsely populated remote locations are the best places to post up for the end times. Oh, wow. Who would have guessed? The, though take that with a grain of salt because no place will go entirely untouched by the planet's continued warming and ensuing fallout. According to researchers, this country specifically is the best location to live in a climate change years raises its ugly head. Um, so let's reset the clock. And there is, they do go through six, the top six, actually seven. But six and seven are kind of the same. Um, so go ahead with your guesses. New Zealand. Okay, everyone's guessing New Zealand, and New Zealand is indeed the top number one. So that's not really oh. fair. What we're interested in—that's kind of—that's kind of table stakes. Uh, so, what is number two? Thailand. Australia. Any, anybody else? Australia, you're going to be stranded with like the desert and a bunch of snakes. <laughs> I see like it. everything kills you in Australia, right? <laughs> You're close. It's the I, I would say Iceland. The, I would say Iceland. It's the island off of Australia known as Tasmania. Tasmania, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking about the uh, southern hemisphere. Uh huh. So nobody got second place, and uh, nobody's guessing third place, which is Ireland. Uh, okay, I'm saying Iceland. And, and so Vinay <laughs> uh, wins. Now that's two for you, is it, Vinay? No, he's, he's, he said Iceland. I know. <laughs> That's the next guess. That's the next highest on the list. Iceland's number fourth, and nobody else so guessed. Thailand is not in there? Indonesia? I mean, either. doesn't Greenland suddenly become way more attractive because it becomes actually green? Uh, no, I think Iceland looks really attractive, uh, though. How about Indonesia? If you think about the UK, UK. because they're not. You, you're cheating now. You're looking at the article. <laughs> You, no, I, I don't even. I'm trying to find the article. Actually, U, I can't U, find it. UK placed fifth. US and Canada tied for sixth. US? Oh, can I, no way. Yeah. No way. I disagree USA. with that. Yeah. USA. Why not? Oh my God, <laughs> no, we, we kill and eat each other. I read the article days ago, so I know the answer. So I won't say anything. Good on you, Ken. I've actually read the article. Yeah. How can, how can the US and Canada be there? Be, Come on. I'll explain because the US. Well, the US. Here, I'll explain. Here's what you want. Uh, and, think, and I've been thinking about this for over a decade. And, and and Jeremiah, who's in the audience, we even had this conversation on stage, and I've had it even separate from Jeremiah once before, which is you need to be in a place that's a major food exporter. You also need to be in a place that's an energy exporter, meaning they are energy independent and food independent. That's That's table stakes. If you don't have that, forget it. You're fucked. Move on. Don't even think for a second about it because... The sh international shipping shit is going to get really fucked up uh, as a result of this China-U.S. friction. So um, you want to be a food and energy exporter, essentially. 
and then ideally an island, ideally sparsely populated, ideally very friendly neighbors that are not hostile, that also have a population that are very self-sufficient in times of crisis. And you can grow food just by throwing apples on the ground or banana peels on the ground and just shit pops up automatically. But the, the America is energy independent, food independent, and has fantastic neighbors, is highly, highly defensible because of the oceans and two friendly neighbors and that we are our best trading partners. It's it's actually a, a good it's not everywhere in America is great to be, but it's really not a bad place to be. Where's well, the best place in America to be? Uh, actually, then Iceland probably won't qualify from a food person. You're right. Well, no, they do have tons of food, but it's largely fishing. They have a Fish. they have a huge fishing uh, sovereign territory south of Iceland. And you, by the way, that's a fantastic history channel uh, documentary to watch. How they got that by fighting yeah, with they do kelp. They fought uh, England over their fishing territory and won every time, and they kept expanding and expanding and expanding it. So they have the more fish than they could ever deal with in Iceland. That's nice. They can do kelp too then. Uh, and the thing is, the United States is so big, you know, and when you fly yeah. over it, hey, you, you see places, you, you fly over, you see places that are so freaking green. You're like, what? like, where okay, did all the water come the, from? <laughs> where is the best place in America? Mm, yeah, there's then you... no water stress. There's lots of food. There's oh no, that's probably going to be in the in the plains or like the the farmland in the middle, like the Midwest area, or, or because... like the Northeast, like Ohio, that area. I think in, mm-hmm. I flew out to Indiana and like they're all that's sitting all on acres. They're 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 all sitting on like acres of land, right? And and it's yeah, green yeah, that's and all trees. I would, yeah, I know. I would try and get one of those islands off the coast of uh, British Columbia myself. That's just Actually, Hawaii would be great. Hawaii. Hawaii. I don't know how, how, much, how long it would last. Hawaii could be good if you built yourself a, a really nice farm. By the way, I have a friend who did exactly this on Kauai, um, who I won't Kauai? name because he's kind of a known individual. Yeah, he moved to... Mark Zuckerberg. Mm, yeah. Lakeisha's here. Lakeisha's here. I could tell you where what the USDA says is the best county to live in in all of America. It's Ventura County, California, where me and Lakeisha are from. California has ah! water spread. <laughs> LA, woo! Yeah, the yeah, you, there's maybe Catalina Island if you can get enough land to grow something nice over there, or the the um, Chan- well, Channel Islands. Ventura County has a unique situation because we're really right at the beginning of the Central Valley, so there's tons of food up here. Hold on, Jer- where Jeremiah wants to jump throw. in here. Sorry, stone <laughs> throw from the beach. Actually, Cyprus, if you think about it. Well, Cyprus is really tr- problematic because you've got like multiple um, countries claiming it. <laughs> so it's it's going to get crazy. Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great conversation. I've been listening for the last hour. Huh? So islands are great and also problematic. Yep. Um, as you know, that Micronesia has many, you know, climate change. <laughs> You're on the beach, right? So yeah. by 2050, yeah. we should just plan for four feet of water yeah. increase. So yeah. that's in our lifetime. Yeah. So the islands are disappearing, right? Yes, but it depends, of course, on the elevation of said island. But the other issue with an island, and I've been to Iceland twice, um, and they don't have a military. True. And the reason they don't have a military is because anybody could take them over at any given time. They can't even put up a fight. Yeah. So there's two concepts here is uh, that islands as a sovereign nation are easy to invade. 
Um, and uh, secondly, so factoring in military power is going to be critical in this. And so that's why, um, well, frankly, United States and probably China, even though they do have their risks with climate change, can easily find some countries that need some freedom. I'm complete. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, that uh, Jean-Francois opened his room and he's already got a hundred people in there. Artificial Intelligence Weekly News is the headline, is the title of the room. So yes, let's go. We're gonna head on over Thanks, there, Professor Tyler. All righty, I'm realizing this isn't a show; this is a lecture. Yep. All right, this is a class. Thank you, sir. All righty, you're uh, welcome. Thanks, Thank you, everybody. We'll see you over there at the Artificial Intelligence Weekly Newsroom. See you there, and see you next time. Have a wonderful Thursday. <laughs>